tactical games are popular, but not so much outside Japan. What can we do to take this tactical series across the ocean? Hmm, a very versatile question. Perhaps we should stick to handhelds for overseas releases? Also, perhaps we should release spin-offs that aren't actually tactical. I agree. But even if those don't work, we should still license some tactical things. What we must be sure not to do is license them to any company known for timely localization dump. We want an audience of only the hardcore with no crossover appeal. Your backlog, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG Backtrack. It's continuing mission to explore games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. To seek out forgotten games and neglected classics. To boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is episode number 207. It comes by Summon Night. I am Phil Willis, and this is uh, the main man, Mr. Mike Minky. Wait a minute. If I'm the main man, does that make me Lobo? Yep. Oh, I feel like I don't smoke nearly enough cigars or call, call people pastiches to deserve being Lobo. Well, but time I, can, to, I suppose I can work on that. Time to start. I heard your President Trump impression, so I'm pretty sure you can make this happen. <laughs> I, 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 had, I can't come up with a notable time that Lobo was played by somebody with a voice. I, I just think of him from comics. That that makes it more difficult to come up with a spe- specific voice for him. Mm, understandable. I'm going to uh, start wading uh, into the... How many thousand DC animated movies are, do we have now? Mm, a lot. A lot, yeah. yeah. Well, the good news here is you won't have to be talking about Summonite games all alone because we have Mr. Uh, Marpender to help you out. Yep, yep, you got one person who's played at least a couple of the... <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think we overlap very much. Not mm. yet, I, I suppose. I think I bought some of Night 5 on the store, but that's the problem with the Vita. It has too many things that I've been playing. The Vita is the problem. Yeah. That poor Vita. Why, why does it have to have such a nice library, but be so abandoned by Sony? <laughs> It's not dead yet. It's close, but it's not quite dead yet. Didn't Sony stop manufacturing the unit? 
I think it did. It, it, it keeps living on. <laughs> that is there's true. No it, it, it'll be like the Dreamcast. There's a there's a there's a, a YouTube uh, producer that I subscribe to that actually updates me weekly on the new Vita releases. And my course is just like this obscure Japanese story novel, whatever. But they keep coming out. Heaven help them. Some mm-hmm. some some of those developers uh support Sony systems a heck of a lot better than Sony does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But don't you and worry. Speaking of, we we have one of those to, five. Yeah, one one of these some one of those summon high games is like that where it, it lasted much longer than Sony's support for the handheld. Because <laughs> <laughs> why we'll not? Pretty soon, I think. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Summonite games, a lot of Summonite games, uh, and then we have a lot of things to go over in our final lap today, a lot of things going on, uh, JRP July, and I played some games for once, and oh boy, and then whatever else, Mike, movies, Mike, Mike's always been watching some movies somewhere, so I'm sure we're going to talk about those, and uh, we might even talk about President Trump, no, no, we're not doing that, no, no Trump talk, uh, when we come back after these commercial messages...
Hey, welcome back. This is the main event where we take a game or a series of games and we crack them open like a fortune cookie to see what's inside. Uh, we are talking about the Summer Night series of games. It sounded, sounded like somebody was like tripping over a cord in the background. They're so excited about Summer Night, they just couldn't rush the microphone fast enough. Um, but uh, so uh, we we got uh, we got a uh, I don't know what is this a sextet when there's six games there's, it's a sextet yeah there's there's a sextet of course summer night games plus many spinoffs because this is a big series in Japan and yeah. most of them haven't come here most of them come here right um, but uh, we're gonna start off talking about the first game in the proper series, uh, Summon Night, that was released uh, originally for the PlayStation and then remade for the Nintendo DS uh, in Japan. Uh, I'm not gonna go over the developer publisher, you know, for each and every one of these. Is for the most part, they've been developed by what? Band Presto, Flight Plan, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Flight Plan and, and developer is the publisher, and Flight Plan is the developer in Japan and. Most of them haven't come across the ocean, so yeah. the few that have, you can easily identify. I will tell you, I will go over the the, the uh, release dates, of course, for each one, and Summer Night was originally released on January 6th, 2000. Uh, so, Mr. Miki, I understand you dipped your your, uh, your hands into these waters. And a few other I did things. play the very first Summer Night in its DS incarnation, because the DS is a very handy system if you're an importer. There's no regional lockout. Unlike the 3DS, thank you, Nintendo. So the fact that it's in Japanese was no hindrance. I was able to pick it up, play it, finish it, and write a review, which is extremely helpful for me. When did I put the... Our stupid site archive doesn't show when I put this thing up originally. I would have to go out and see. That's very inconvenient for me right now. Grr. But here's a nice thing. This is a two, This was originally a 2000 PlayStation game. And it doesn't use any 3D polygons. Instead, it uses sprites, which makes it look a heck of a lot better than it would if it had used a whole bunch of polygons, right? Very much so. Now, yes, this is all in Japanese. So here's what I was able to glean. You, at the beginning, pick a high school student. There are four potential characters you can be. Two of them are boys, two of them are girls. That high school student is sucked into another world, another world where he or she has to fight. And with the help of some people who join you to help fight the evil Banosa. And really, that's the majority of what I got, because maybe other Summon Night games that I've missed change this up a bit. But a lot of the cutscenes here revolve around characters talking to each other without much in the way of illustrations demonstrating exactly what they're talking about. And they talk for a while. So without much Japanese familiarity... And without many actions to correspond with what they're talking, I couldn't tell you the details. I, I can say from the later games that is that is still accurate for how they play. <laughs> they are very chatty. They are very much about the uh, the inter uh, character interactions more so than the overall story, which is entertaining in reasonable doses. These games have a tendency to get that reasonable dose not quite right. However. There is a handy function, especially if you're an importer for this original Summon Night on DS. You can fast-forward these scenes. Ooh. You, can't, you can't skip them entirely, but you can push the fast-forward button and make the text skip along real fast. And I recall doing that, because after a certain point, there's just no 
there's no incentive for me to keep staring at it. Yeah, I can sound out the hiragana, and that really doesn't tell me much because Japanese is often context-based, so merely knowing what characters they're using doesn't help me all that much. So, I don't believe that there is a translation of this game even today, although maybe the internet will fix that one of these days. Maybe there will be machine translation. That'll be great. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait for the Google Translate version. Well, we've seen stuff get released on the Switch in particular with machine translations. Why not this? Well, don't you know? I mean, you know, it it, it, work, it works great. It I'm does. sure it turns out something that's, you know, mostly readable. It I, be... I, I hear it's more fun when you translate it back and forth a few times, you know, and, <laughs> and then go with that final result that the, nothing but good things happen. I don't know if anyone's documented the results of that experiment. I think we have a new internet challenge. See what happens when you translate and retranslate a document using internet translation. And let's just see how many times you can do it before it devolves into complete and utter mush that is incomprehensible. Anyway, internet, get on with that. (laughs) So having said that, I I don't know what most of the story was, but this is a tactical game. And... In battle, it plays not particularly innovatively, except with the magic system. And boy, am I glad I wrote the review, because the magic system in this game is weird. <laughs> you, you put accessories onto a character with colored gems that you get as spoil from battle. And you test this in battle. And either it'll be a new spell that results that you then have access to... Or it will backfire, and that might give you a free item. It might hurt you. And I don't think there's anything in the game. The game itself, when you play it, is pretty comprehensible. If you're a tactical veteran, you can pretty easily figure out, oh, look at that range on the map. That is the range in which my character can move. But I think this magic system is entirely there to be guesswork, even if you speak the language. (laughs) So have fun with that. It's not unmanageably difficult. I do remember the final boss being a pain, but of course I played this game something like six years ago, and I can't remember exactly what was a pain about it, but I did beat it. Enemies do take a lot of hits to bring down, but they're also not particularly brilliant, so you can be smart and lure one or two out at a time, beat the crap out of them, and then go for their friends, which you will probably want to do, because otherwise you'll... And let's see here. Did did this one still have the uh, thing where you had like a uh, where you have the main character, like you said, from uh, who kind of like was transported from Japan? Um, but the other, or at least five and six, have this where you have like the main character and then a cross that they kind of like. Uh, it, it's almost like a a persona in you know the the personas in the Persona games. Is, does it still have that kind of uh, same mechanic? I don't remember that being here. <laughs> I do remember, the, the, yeah, the, the main character is the only one that's not native to this fantasy realm. Mm-hmm. And also, since, it, since it's on the DS, apparently there was voice acting on the original PlayStation. Well, that's gone now. But since it's all in Japanese, it's not a terrible loss. And the quality of life improvements of it being on the DS instead of the PlayStation outweigh the loss of voice acting to me. Yeah. And there's... There's one main battle theme for most of the game, which gets dull. But then, of mm-hmm. course, near the end, it starts to 
break out with new ones that are pretty good, which is another example of pacing and lessons to learn. You want to pace your music introduction well and not have it become mundane and overheard in the bulk of the game. And also, this this introduces a system that I remember popping up in later games where at the end of each chapter, because of course it, the story is chapter-based, you get to chat with certain pals of yours in the team, and the ones you chat with influence who's your bestie, who's your second bestie, and also influences the ending somewhat. And of course, you get four characters, so there's lots of influence there. Of course, I can't tell you very much about how the different characters each play because I only did one playthrough, so I didn't experiment finding out, ah, well, girl number one plays like this. Boy number two plays like this. Well, if you want if you want this kind of a tactical experience, then you definitely want that main character. No, I, I did not go through such an intensive workout of the game. I enjoyed yeah, and it. And as I understand, that's kind of been a, a series running staple, at least in the, the mainline tactical games where they have the different choices between the main characters and that's part of the appeal is like you can play them over and over again with different different main characters and having even different interactions between those main characters and the side characters so there's like a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of side story to those games because of that i believe you are correct i think this first one tops them all in that you have four choices of protectors mm-hmm. though most of the later ones slim it down to just two yeah Maybe it took too long to write all those extra dialogue variants for Flight Plan. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, this is not a particularly wonderful tactical game, but I enjoyed it enough to to persevere. And it's pretty import-friendly if you're willing to wade through all of the Japanese text because the battles themselves are... If you've played a few tactical games, you will know what you're doing here. The, The menus are not deliberately obtuse, although... Although getting money is apparently a pain in this game. And this is also old enough that you can't equip things in battle. You have to do that out of battle. So if you get something, if you just killed an enemy and wonder what the hell is that I just got, well, you have to wait until the fight is over. But there's another feature that I lo- that I felt compelled to note in my review, which is that instead of you getting experience as you kill things, you just get it as a big lump at the end, and you can pick which characters get the experience. So even if they weren't in your team, or if they didn't happen to do much, you can just grant, here, you, you you almost died, but I think you could be useful. I'll give you a bunch of experience, and we'll see what a few levels do for you. And they did that at least in 5 and 6, too, and that was like, I always dig that in strategy RPGs. Then that's probably the same in 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. And I always like that where you can, you know, like that way if you've got a healer that you're not using, you know, you might have to baby along. You can uh, level them up even though they're not killing a bunch of things. And there are also free side missions available most, most of the time in case you want to catch somebody up that way. Yeah, I, I for some reason think of the original Shining Force as a game where that would have helped because you get a lot of characters late in the original Shining Force who, with some levels, are really good. But if you just want to take them and run right now, well, too bad. They're way behind your team. Mm. You remember that, right, Phil? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a Shining Force staple. It's a lot better in Shining Force 3. The first one, though, yeah, you, here, I'm Adam, the level 10 base class robot that you get in the second to last chapter with about five battles left of the game. That's very helpful, Adam. Anyway, I I don't have by, a whole lot of to say I about do the original have, Summer Night. I do have an update for you. 
While you were talking, I might have taken the liberty of taking a simple sentence like Summer Night is a great game and running it through a dozen times through various languages in Google Translator. And what I found out is that Summer Night is a fisherman. Hmm. This is unique. I don't remember learning this before. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's because it's the uh, month of the uh, fisherman in Clash Royale. I don't know, but that's what it came up. Mm-hmm. Summer Knight is a fisherman. Wait, are, are you saying that you might be subtly advertised to? Maybe. Google Translate mm-hmm. is in is working in cahoots with Supercell to like su- you know to do that. What is that? The subliminal messaging. Well, stuff. you know that Google exists by selling ads. Mm-hmm. You have just provided an excellent opportunity to be advertised, Phil. Mm-hmm. I hope. I hope you appreciate the third of a cent or whatever that that ad net to google mm-hmm. yeah well you know i have to do my part to keep the google machine running you do mm. so, otherwise we'd have to use bing right so so you enjoyed your time with summer night i did and yet i cannot say everybody should go out and play this immediately because it's as Kelly would say, it's kind of in the bleh middle. I enjoyed it enough, but if I wasn't able to look at my review right now and recall, oh yeah, that stuff, then my memories would be very faint. So this is not the kind of game that will stick with you for long, unless you're maybe you will turn into one of those diehard summer night aficionados who just love the thing and support it to the point where you enable more games to keep coming out in Japan. That That could happen. I'm imagining there are a few people like that outside of Japan. I did not become one, but neither did I regret the time I spent with it. So it's kind of in the middle. That sounds super mediocre. <laughs> I was going to say super exciting, but no, that didn't quite work when I gave it some more thought. I'm like, no, super exciting doesn't sound right. It sounds super, super mediocre. How about super adequate? You know, adequate, that works. Super adequate, sure. I, super I think that's acceptable. A good, yeah, adequate is a very good term. There you go. Yeah no adequate. negative connotation there just yeah. you know it's adequate it's adequate it does the job nothing more nothing less it does what is asked of it and sometimes that's what you need in a strategy rpg i just yeah. need something that's adequate that's all you know it's, it's easy enough to figure out what you're doing i think that's what my boss thought when he hired me i don't need someone great i just need someone adequate <laughs> Well, you've worked there for a number of years, Phil. I think you've fulfilled that role pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I just, I maintain my adequacies. <laughs> that's that's my goal in life at my job is to just be to remain adequate. adequate. And not inadequate. <laughs> that's what one of our people said to our boss today. I strive not to be the slowest gazelle. That's actually what I put on my resume. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, I strive not to be the slowest gazelle. Um, there you go. Summon night. Summon night. It's not the slowest, the slowest gazelle. gazelle. <laughs> oh, that is too rich. Okay, so <laughs> let's take a look at Summon Night Two. Then this was uh, also released for the PlayStation and later remade for the Nintendo uh, DS. Uh, this was uh, originally released on August second, two thousand and one. Who played this one? I have not played this one. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Based on what I know, it's it slims things down to two potential protagonists and was also on PlayStation and also got a DS port and I haven't played it yet, but yeah. I didn't want it to go without being mentioned. 
Yep. The protagonists and a few of the other characters show up in some of Night Six. I mm-hmm. didn't really catch on to, you know, a lot of the stories that they kept, uh, like the little side stories and bits that they kept bringing up because I didn't play some of Night Two, but, you know, they were there. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> um,. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's see here. I, I will. I, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna shamelessly just pull a. You know, there's not a lot of reviews because you'd had to import it and all this other jazz. But I, I did find. Well, I, does he have a name? I'm gonna quote this poor guy. He doesn't even have his name on his blog entry. But this one dude. <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't even give him credit because he has no name on it. Uh, but it's called My RPG Blog. But he says, um, since I was kind of used to the system already because he had played the first one, I blazed through the game with ease. Maybe that's why you didn't really stick in my mind all that much. It's not a bad game at all. In fact, in many ways, it's better than Summon Nights 1. So I don't know why I felt so bleh after finishing it. But somehow it's put a damper on my Summon Night fever for now. Let's just, just for now, one day I'll get Summon Night 3 and 4 for the PS2, and then we'll talk again. So it sounds like Summon Night 2 carries that grand tradition of not being the slowest gazelle. <laughs> well, he did say that it sounded less blad than Summon Night 1. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... um Slightly more competent. There you go. There you go. Uh <laughs> Just, it's, it's, it's a less smelly turn. No, just, no, no, it's not bad. It's just, just it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, let's move on. Summon Night 3. Totally fine. Released uh, for the PlayStation 2. A remake for the PSP was released. Uh, the original game, August 7, 2003. And then uh, the uh, PSP release, according to this entry, was released on October 4th, 2012. So did, did someone get to play... Summon Night 3. I did not. No, no. Well, luckily, our good friend, with no name, <laughs> did eventually did eventually get to this game and, uh, and whatnot. Um, and he said, he said, basically, so first of all, you're not buying this one for the story, boys and girls, because it, it basically had a crappy story. With that said, <laughs> just to <laughs> get but wait a minute, it's not the slowest gazelle here, okay? So, <laughs> don't, Is it the second slowest gazelle? Just, it's not the slowest gazelle. I know you're a little worried, but trust me on this. It had it had it had it had moderate challenge, fun characters, bright and happy colors, just like an episode of the Muppets. <laughs> it's he said it's got great re- his, he actually said that the Muppets no I threw the Muppet part in there okay, um, okay. he or she it could be a she I I, I don't want to you know gender stereotype here he or she says it's the got, reviewer the reviewer says it's got great replay value as well uh, with your choice of two protagonists and four students four different viewpoints on the story depending on which guardian you befriend and at least six recruitable characters a bonus dungeon a bad ending um, that that they said that he that he or she said I really want to see it but nobody has it up on YouTube for some silly reason. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, it is not the slowest gazelle. That is very reassuring. So uh, I mean, I'm looking. I will say, looking at the at the screenshots, it it it, 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 it some it somehow looks like a more cutesy version. Of a Disgaea game, if that's possible, because I yeah, don't yeah. think Disgaea looks pretty cute. This was cute. the first one on PS2. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so it's around that era, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it actually does, uh, you know, especially when I'm just kind of comparing it on mine with, with you know, Disgaea, I actually think that the it, it does look a little bit more colorful and it actually looks a little bit more appealing. It's just, yeah. It, it actually looks pretty pretty darn cute. Uh, yeah, and the mo- moderate challenge uh, that the reviewer talks about is probably a little appealing if you found Disgaea a bit too difficult or too grindy. Because really, at the end of the day, Disgaea is not difficult if you're willing to grind. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, like the this guy can be crushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the Summon Night games kind of have a pretty nice-looking, colorful anime aesthetic to them. That yeah, yeah, there are a lot of those kind of games, but the Summon Night still kind of manages to stick out, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see what else if I can find anything else. Reception and sales. The PlayStation Two, and this is brought to us by our good friends at Wikipedia. Um, the PlayStation Two release of the game sold over 156,000 copies its first week of sales, higher than both of the later mainline series releases. Both. Mm-hmm. I, I can only guess that means this is this was written before Summonite Six. Yeah, yeah. Summonite Six is a little bit of a interesting story on that one, I believe. But um, yeah, so that that's uh, that, that, that's 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 all the notes they got on that. Um, oh, oh, and you'll be excited to know that main characters Rex and Addy from this game both make an appearance in the future sequel Summonites Five. Addy yes, they do. And Addy appears as a playable character in the crossover video game Project X Zone Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's this like I, I was reading about it, and like apparently there's like like all of these games are set in the same uh, main country, Linbaum, and mm-hmm. then they all like there's all there's these connections between both that world and then these four other worlds that the crosses come from or well they they call them different things in different games like some of them were guardians or you know like one of the worlds is like a machine world and one of them is a yokai world and you can you know like certain characters are able to summon these uh uh you know the yokai or whatever to be their partners and and so like that's one of the things themes that carries across the games and then there's like these weird connections between supposedly like three and five because you have these characters that cross between the two even though like uh the first four games are all medieval in style and then five is like pretty modern so it's kind of like a weird (laughs) a a really strange uh change in yeah yeah they took a Mm. left turn at albuquerque So yeah, so go and 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 check and check that out. And yeah, those are those those characters I mentioned, Rex and Addy, are actually the the main characters here in Summon Night Three. So their legacy carries on. Speaking of carrying on, we're going to carry on with Summon Night Four, released uh, for the PlayStation Two on November thirtieth, two thousand six. A remake was released for the PSP on November fifteenth, twenty twelve. Which is. That was pretty late in the PSP's life outside of Japan. Mm, quite. And, uh, oh, hey, this one actually has its own wiki wiki page and everything. So who's oh. played Summon Night 4, or am I quoting more wiki? You're quoting more wiki. Okay, so Summon Night, <laughs> Summon Night 4 is a game for the PlayStation 2 and the last main entry in the series made by Flight Plan. It was ported for the PlayStation Portable much later by Philistella. 
Feli, Feli Stella, Feli Stella, Felistia, yeah, Felistia, yeah. However you want to pronounce that. The plot in the game focuses on a parent-child relationship. The protagonist is a teenager who lives as an innkeeper in uh, in uh, Tyrol, a town in the Empire. During a meteor shower, a giant egg falls to the to the lead, revealing a baby dragon inside of it. The dragon uh, does an imprint and starts thinking the protagonist is its parent. The protagonist adopts the dragon, but a mysterious group is also after the baby. He eventually comes to know what the baby is act- that the baby is actually a reincarnation of a dragon god, the protector of all summoned beasts. The dragon's cleric uh, come to help but are unable to set them apart. Feeling responsible, the main character decides to protect the baby and consequently every summoned beast in the world. Oh, it's like How to Raise Your Dragon, right? Or How I Raise My Dragon. What was that movie called? How to Raise Your Dragon? Yeah, that sounds right. How to to train your dragon? Train your Ah, dragon. There we go. All right, close enough. (laughs) So apparently, spawned a huge direct-to-video sequel series. Mm Hmm. Uh, let's see here. So, so th- this game uh, kind of brought some changes and some support, uh, some improvements, including the ability to change between two weapons during battle. Um, the ability or the option to choose a ninth character in battle to become a support unit, uh, a unit with many useful skills like a cure or raise attributes. Uh, it introduced a cooking system. Uh, a very rock-paper-scissors-like system to armor that makes some of the equipment to resist a specific type of weapon while getting vulnerable, you know, maybe to another type of weapon. Um, there's a new puzzle minigame and two old minigames that came back from Summon Knights 2. And uh, f- uh, the level of the summon units are back to being based on the level of the summoner. I guess that's something that kind of changed uh, throughout time, uh, throughout time and stuff. Um, and there's many innings. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it sounded like that that was something also in the last game where they started kind of doing the multiple endings. Uh, but it is, you know, kind of easy to see multiple endings in just one playthrough if you do a little save scumming according to the notes here. So, um, it's not too hard to see so at least multiple, maybe not every single one, but, the uh, this was one of Flight Plan's biggest investments, uh, according to the notes here. Every voice actor, every graphic, every movie was was high quality. It had money pumped into it. Um, however, the reception was you know not all that great. Uh, per, perhaps even the worst in the series is kind of treated as a. <gasps> I just <laughs> we, wait we a minute. Did it just become the one. slowest gazelle? At yes, least. it did. <laughs> Summon <laughs> night forward, the slowest gazelle. Um, I, I don't think we should say that definitively until we get through the rest. We we don't. This review may have been written at the time, and therefore could be supplanted by later information. That is true. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 exact reasons for why this was not a commercial failure are still kind of unknown. Uh, but the the flan, the fan. Um, guesses out there or whatever conspiracies <laughs> that are out there is maybe it was because the plot and character were a bit too happy-go-lucky um betraying the franchise's you know normal darker style uh the plot is also much simpler than older entries no big schemes or conspiracies um apparently during events every big loss or sacrifice can be avoided giving no feeling of surprise or threat so, um, and the, the, the new armor vulnerability system and the cooking system weren't exactly well received by, uh, by longtime players. So, hmm, and a couple of other things, but yeah. Uh, there were, in the remake that came out on the PSP, they did get rid of the armor vulnerability system and they simplified the cooking system. Um, so, uh, and there's, uh, yeah. 
So there's uh, some new events added in as well. Uh, the, in contrast with the last game, this entry has the youngest main character at 15 years old. So it's not only the slowest gazelle, it's the youngest <laughs> one. The youngest gazelle is the slowest. Which means that it will be eaten fastest. Right. Uh, the PFP remake has the biggest cast of characters and summons in all the franchise, at least at the time of writing, with every character and summon from Summon Knights 3, which already included much of the Summon Knights 2 cast, as well as its own cast, which was already pretty big. Um, however, the player needs a save file from Summon Knights 3 PSP remake in order to get everything. Hmm. Oh wow! Nifty. So if you if you only played Summon Night Three on PS2, then you're going to have a lot of fun replaying it on PSP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the game events most likely happen at the same time as the third game's epilogue. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's a shame it didn't do too good. I mean, I'm looking at the artwork; it looks really cutesy and uh, looks like it's pretty well done. So it's a, it's a shame that it, it yeah it didn't do too well. And by the way, all these comments uh, give credit where credits due. Uh, all these notes are coming from summonite.fandom.com. Apparently there's a wiki just for Summon Night. Just gotta look hard enough. Oh, hell, it's even got notes on the older games. Hmm, wonder why that didn't come from my first Google search. Oh, well, moving on. Summon Night 5. Uh, this is released for the PSP on May 16th, 2013. And this one was developed by Felistella. You can play this on your PS via, via built-in emulation as well. That's what it says here. Developed by Feli Stella. Released and, in Japan on May 16, 2013, and in North America, December 15, 2015. Turn-based strategy RPG. Well, it was released digitally in December. The uh, The people who bought the physical version didn't get it until, like, April. Yeah, I know, right? And, and let me just check here, because, funny little story, I was one of those people. I was also... And uh, at least I'm pretty sure that's what this Summon Knights box is. I think it's Summon Knights 5, unless there's a Summon Knights 6 box. Uh, Summon Knights 5, yeah, I still got the... I haven't even I haven't even taken the shrink wrap off of... Man, oh, I'm bad. Goodness. Oh, wait, I did take it's the... A, it's a Gaijin Works release. Don't take that shrink wrap off. Just get it digitally, and then you can watch that thing appreciate. Yeah, buddy. Holy cow, this is really nice, too, because it's got, like... It's Well, it used to have something in here. I think I took it out. But it had a soundtrack. Oh. It had a disc. A what? soundtrack and a poster and oh poster uh, there you go god what was what else was in there was there an art book maybe i don't remember I now don't know, but this 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 chick is scantily clad what <laughs> what i, I just... say sir uh, my senses are abhorred by this you say it is not um, and I will say, aside, yeah, it has the poster, everything he's just said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through it, and it has a full-blown, full-color instruction book. Yes, it did. Because we know those are rare commodities, even in the PSP days. Yep, this was like, I think this was the last physical PSP release here in the U.S. Guy Works, yeah, I believe it was. Um, and it's been sitting on my computer for who knows how long. Uh, it's dated uh, U.S. Postage Fee Pay April 10th, 2016 mm-hmm. is is the postage date. So it's been sitting on my desk for like two years. And I just I, I opened it up. I took the disc out and followed it with the rest of my PSP games. I think I did play for a little bit. Um, well, you know what? Now I remember. That's right. They sent me the code. Yeah, that was the other cool thing because that, of that. They, yeah. they sent... Because of the uh, delay, they went ahead and sent everyone a, uh, a 
everyone who bought a physical version of Digital Code. And now I remember I was playing it and it was buggy. I had a save bug problem of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. I actually, I think it was. I heard it was better on the Vita than on the PSP. I definitely ran into bugs on the PSP. Hmm. That's what I remember hearing at the time that it was actually better on the Vita than it was on the PSP. But that may not have been true. Hmm. Um. Wow. So. Uh, yeah. That's. Uh, that's okay. So. 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 But. But now I didn't get too far. Um, because of that bug, I think I maybe spent four to six hours in it. So I'd rather yeah. see if one of you guys spent more time <laughs> in it and maybe it's a little bit more qualified to talk well, about this. Well, we'll see how much of this I remember. Um, it, it, like all the other uh, mainline tactical summon night games, you, you start out, you've got a choice between two two main characters. There's Arca and Fulf, I think was the male uh, choice. And if I recall, Fulf. like this Fulf, yeah. <laughs> And if I recall correctly, like healing of names. Yeah, kind of. uh, Yeah, I don't know about that name choice, but there you go. Like you start out the game and as I recall, like the main character is chasing after one of their childhood friends who's gotten lost in the woods and they end up like getting transported to this other like uh, dimension, other world. And they're surrounded by, you know, all these, you know, enemies that are coming to attack them. And then... Like, right at that point, they're able to summon a cross that is able to come and save them. You know, and that's been one of the themes throughout all the other tactical games where there's this, uh, you know, like, connection between the main character and then this, uh, well, well, not not persona, but, you know, they're able to summon a character from one of those other worlds that uh, the Lindbaum is, like, uh, somehow connected to. And... So, so that's how the game starts out. Your your character like is able to summon this character and becomes like a summoner and joins this like force of people. You know, like this, uh, you know, this uh, like police force of people who are able to uh, summon uh, summon characters. And the uh, childhood friend, he is warped by the uh, process of like going over to the other side and kind of becomes like the main bad guy who is trying to like summon demons to the world and destroy the world. And like I was mentioning earlier, you know, the earlier games were all very um, medieval in setting, kind of like a a bit more of a traditional uh, tactical RPG setting. And this one has much more of a modern setting. It's uh, the the world people have guns. Um, the world looks almost like uh, eh, you know like nineteen forties nineteen fifties kind of like world. It has that kind of like art aesthetic look. Uh, the story I don't remember too much of the overall story, which doesn't doesn't speak well to <laughs> to it. The main thing I remember about the game was not, just how not even the Gaijin works did a good localization. That that that's what I was getting to. Like okay. the 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 characters themselves though were just like incredibly uh they were really well done like i loved the interaction between the different characters and the localization was actually pretty well done i mean it it did a really good job of like uh you know like going over the top at certain times and being a little bit silly uh the main character was um she would I played mostly. I I think I did dabbled a little bit with the male main character, but I played mostly with Arca, the female main character. And I remember like she would even sometimes like break the fourth wall, just like, oh man, that that side quest was really annoying, wasn't it? 
just like weird, like it would just come and hit you out of the blue and you'd be like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> but there were a lot of, a lot of really good characters. She was really, you know, e- even as a main character, she was really good. There were a lot of really good bad guys in the game. There was a, uh, oh Lord, there was a turtle that smoked cigars as one of the main bad guys, just like weird stuff in it. Um, there, of course, like not only do you have your your main character, but you also get to choose between four different secondary characters to be your cross at the beginning of the game. So there's all that kind of like permutations of the two different main characters who can each choose four different crosses. And then like some of the other characters, like um, oh geez, like there's this uh, one character who's like a uh, like a uh, kohai kind of character, senpai kohai kind of relationship. Ruli, who was just like, <laughs> usually I don't like the uh, the kind of like cloying O senpai characters, but she was just like had so much spunk that she was a really entertaining character. <laughs> That's hard to pull off. I know, I know, it is so hard to pull off. <laughs> but she was really good. Oh, geez, I'm like looking through some of my stuff that I was like it. The the localization was mostly good, but there were like there were definitely weird um, places where it looks like it lacked editing. Like there were, I'm like, oh geez, here's the line. There's the only running is going to be in your pants. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, like oh, like there there were there would be like these really good lines. Like the bad guy would be like, sing goody shoes, optimist. And then he would just turn around and he would be like, out of calculations, out of calculations, out of calculations. You'd be like, what, what, huh? So some of the, some of the things could have used a, an extra little bit of polish. But for the most part, like the localization was kind of like what carried the game along. Uh, gameplay was more traditional tactical RPG stuff. Uh, the interesting thing in this one, the two, the two kind of unique well, somewhat unique things anyway that it does. One was that it had, um, I think they were called medals, and they would have every single battle that you fought would have um, like goals for you to do. Like sometimes it would be like, oh, be the first, you know, like att- be, be the first one to do damage. Basically like do damage before the enemy does damage to you. Or it might be like kill three enemies with one attack. And reach, you would reach get a certain square or mm-hmm. use use this particular item here or something like that. Yep, yep. It would have all kinds of like weird little uh, extra things to do in battle. You don't have to do them, but you would get like not only would you get like a small experience bonus, but then that would affect it. Would, the the game the other big part of this game was that it had like a brave meter is i think what it was called and it kind of was like an analog almost for morale like every time you would kill an enemy it would go up a little bit every time one of your guys would get damaged or especially if your one of your characters was like uh you know like their hp bar was completely wiped out and they had to or forced to retreat the meter would go way down and the meter would kind of like if the meter ever got to zero you would lose the battle that was always one loss conditions of it but the meter would also like control like sort of the the ability to uh summon extra characters into battle like if you wanted to swap if someone got hurt and you wanted to swap them out you know the 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 brave meter would affect that you could spend it on that and then you could also spend it on like doing really powerful special attacks so there was kind of like this weird little extra bit of strategy to it that 
you, I, I don't know that it's totally unique, but it was kind of like a pretty neat little addition to the game. Um, I don't hear about tactical games where you are able to swap people out of, out of the action very often. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like like I said, that was kind of the unique thing was that it wasn't just like freely done. It's like you had to pay using that brave meat. And so you were trying to do those. It, it also, like like I said, those two parts, like the metals and the brave meter kind of work together because, you know, uh, pulling off those small little things would really raise your brave meter. So if you could kill three enemies all in one attack, you know, your brave meter would go from 50 to like 90 or something like that. And then it would be easy to swap someone else in or pull off one of these really powerful attacks. Um the other thing I really remember liking about the battle system was that it used uh, it used size quite a bit. Like a lot of the uh, a lot of enemies and especially a lot of the bosses would be much bigger than one square, and you know they might be two by two or three by three. And then area of attack area of effect attacks that you could do would actually do basically it would like multiply the damage that you would do. So if you had a if you had an attack one of those special attacks that would do like damage in a T, you know, that would do like three up and three across. Well, if you could center that on the uh, boss, you know, you wouldn't just do like 50 damage. You might do, you know, 250 damage. If the, if the cross kind of mat, if you could kind of get the, get the attack to match up on the boss, it was like cool little things like that. Um, like I said, man, I don't remember the story that well, but I, I that 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 is a game that, despite the bugs, despite the <laughs> despite the eh story, like I remember, I have really fond memories of that game. It has stuck with you know the fond memories of it have stuck with me even now. Where we're what you know, like three four years later, like in a, in a way that a lot of other you know kind of meh. Uh, strategy RPGs on the PSP haven't stuck with me in the same way. <laughs> Interesting. Because that definitely sounds... The, the fact that you're remembering all of these things puts it above most of the ones I'm talking about tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the like I said, like I, I don't know that the story was stellar, but the characters really... The characters and the localization were really quite strong. And then, like, I, I really did like the battle system. Um, oh, geez, the other thing that really... That ended up kind of like... The reason I never actually got all the way to the end and finished it was that... Uh, Unfortunately, once you pick a uh, difficulty in this game, like you are stuck with it for the whole way through. You pick normal, you're stuck with normal. You can't swap back down to easy. And t- right at the end of the game, they start there are some enemies that are able to like summon trash mobs of like zombies basically to come and get you, you know, to like every single turn they can summon like two or three new of these zombies that will come and attack you. And they're all low level. They're not that big of a deal, but they can kind of just overwhelm your party. And I just didn't build. Yeah, I just didn't do a very good job of building my party to to use magic because it is like leveling up magic like you were talking about in one of the other games. Kind of like kind of. Yeah, I remember it was based around uh, items and equipping them and then leveling up the items that you had equipped. And I, and I don't see what happens. You, you kind of have to test them out and see, oh, well, that's a good result. Or mm-hmm. what, 
no, that's terrible. I don't do that again. Yeah, there was some of that in this game. And then this one, it's also tied in like all the characters have different classes that they can equip. So there's like this combination of like having the right character, you know, like having the right class, but also having the, yeah, the right item equipped to get the right sort of uh, magic leveled up. And I just didn't get the hang of that system, but I didn't have any trouble until I got to like the last two or three story missions where these enemies would just summon the trash mobs of zombies to come after you. Because I was able to get through the rest of the game with melee characters, but you get to the end and you really got to have some good, powerful magic users with some strong area of attack spells that can wipe out, you know, whole swaths of zombies all at once. Is that how... Because you, you never quite finished 5, right? Yeah, I got vi- to the very last mission and just couldn't get past it. I think I YouTubed it at some point. <laughs> YouTube is helpful for things like that. Yes, it is. I think there's only like one playthrough on YouTube game, something like that, but <laughs> that's all I needed. <laughs> there might be more now. There might be. Although but it'll probably a- just be full of people reacting to Final Fantasy VII remake trailers. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh, come on. You know that's full. Of, that YouTube has a ton of those now. Oh, totally. It does. I, I know. But Summit yeah, Night Five, Summit Night Five was a it was a cute little game. I, I I still really like it. I still recommend anyone you know anyone looking for a tactical RPG on the you know on the PSP. Heck, you can play it on your Vita. It works great on there. Like, it's definitely worth keeping an eye out for. Let me see here. Did anybody actually review it for us? I'm looking through. It doesn't look that way. No. I. It, on the the old site even lists your Summon Night Six review, but we have nothing for Summon Night Five. Okay, I wrote an in my early days working for the site. I wrote an editorial about playing it and all the weirdness of it, so you can go back and read that and kind of get a sense for the game and see some of the screenshots and such. But no, I don't think we have a review for it. Well, I may be able to address that at some point. It's worthwhile. Yeah, I, I think you'd like it. Man, you you crammed this impression with uh, this editorial with screenshots. Yeah, I, I did that once. That <laughs> did never do that again. That was on the old site where it was a real pain to add screenshots. Yes, it was. It's much easier on the new site, and yet still, n- none of our writing tends to have this many screenshots. No, no, you can tell. I went. I was. I was young and report on it. <laughs> Especially when most of them are. The character speaking, which out of context doesn't pack quite the punch. Yeah, true. Looks like Tonguey Tongue fainted. <laughs> oh, you did not just mock me, you foaming brown stain. Mock this! Had to avoid, you know, couldn't swear. Had to avoid that. As happens sometimes in games. I see the fourth wall breaking comment that you mentioned there. Yeah, she did that a few times. Also, why does she look like she's embarrassed? Her cheeks are flushed. Yeah, that was uh, that was one thing. It, it has the um, oh gosh, I, I, I'm loath to make the comparison, but it does kind of have that same sort of. Uh, it, it's not static, completely static character portraits. It's kind of like uh, uh, the Neptunia games, where they're the characters. Um, you know, it's not sprites, but they have like that, uh, that, you know, they move a little bit and they do uh, emote some. It's not uh, a complete, yeah, yeah, you know, it isn't lips moving or anything like that, but there's a little bit of life to the character models while you're sitting there and reading. Oh, and I should say there's no voice acting in this game. 
um, Vic Ireland uh, and 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 uh, Gaijin Works basically didn't have the budget to even get the uh, Japanese voice acting, so it's just just silent. Well, that was not the smartest of decisions, but no, but we but, have to live with it. But but apparently it did well enough that we still got the the next game. Well, did you did you did you have? I mean, ultimately, did you feel like you you had fun? Did you want to go back and play it again at some point? Or oh yeah, yeah, I've come, I've gone, I've actually gone back to that game two or three different. I still haven't actually beaten it, but I have gotten, I've gone back several different times to play it more, which says mm-hmm. something. So if we it, get an analysis it, of its systems, you can give it to us. Yeah, I can tell you what it says. It says that it's not the slowest gazelle. <laughs> this one might be toward the, you know like at the front of the summon night gazelle pack. Yeah, there you go. So it's the not fastest, but not. I, I don't. I don't know where that puts it exactly. Towards the front of the pack. Hmm. This gazelle will not be taken down until almost all of the other gazelles have been taken down. Has that? Hmm. Food for thought. Food for thought, but you can let me let me just double check real quick to see if it's still available. Now that I'm thinking about it on the 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 Sony PlayStation Store. Because on there, you know, a lot Surely. of things are, but occasionally I've noticed I go back and look, and some of the games have come down for whatever reasons. Uh, let's see here. So, Summon Night, Sony PlayStation Store. Oh, hey, portable ROM. No, we don't want that. Uh, Station PlayStation <laughs> Store. Uh, let's see. Store, PlayStation, new games. Uh, you're not just going to take me right to Summon Night, are you? You're going to make me, like, do extra steps for it. Silly. Silly. Silly thing. Okay, Summon Night 5. Uh, PlayStation 5. Or PlayStation 5. <laughs> Summon Night 5. PlayStation Portable. $30.99 playable on your PSP and Vita. Would you say it's worth $30.99? Yeah, I think so. If you like strategy RPGs, I, I think it's... $30.99 for a digital release? Yeah, it's uh-huh. a weird number. But it's a weird number, right? Like, why not twenty nine ninety nine? right? <laughs> Don't know. Or just either 30 or 31. Digital stuff usually doesn't bother with the 99 cent stuff. Uh, Summon Night 5 PSP, new and sealed PlayStation Portable Gaijin Works uh, currently, uh, that, that hasn't bought out yet. Um, buy it now, fifty nine ninety nine, and it's the collector, it's the it's the same box I got. I don't know if that's collector's edition or not, it's probably just the way it came, but yeah, looks like people are selling it for 60 bucks brand new in the box with all of the extras, which you know, th- that's a toughie. If you like to collect... I would that's say this might bad. be that's not bad. I mean, for an extra twenty nine bucks, it's free shipping, so you'd pay twenty nine extra dollars. You're gonna get the soundtrack, you're gonna get the art book, you're gonna get all the fancy stuff. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna take a look at what uh, what this guy has inside his box. I mean, it's the same exact box I got. Yeah, yeah. it's the same one I have right here yeah. on my table. Yeah, it was pretty nice. I, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it I was think that nice. was. I think that was kind of cool. So I remember, I remember jumping through some hoops to get in on that pre-order because they, I mean, they only had a limited number of copies, and you had to pre-order at the Gaijin Works website of all things, mm-hmm. too. Which, um, uh, and I can't, I can't remember. I think it was probably an article at RP Gamer that got me interested in it. And I'm like, ooh, this is like basically it's one of the last, if not the last, PSP game to come out. Definitely the last hard, you know. And it looks nice. It's a tactical RPG. Um, so I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, so yeah. Yeah, not not bad, not bad. 
So, uh, all right, one more game uh, left on the main docket here. That is Summonite 6, A Lost Borders, uh, published in Japan by uh, Bandai Namco, uh, worldwide by Gaijin Works. Uh, this was developed by Media Vision, uh, released in North America on October 31st, 2017, and uh, Japan, March 10th, 2016. Uh, this is a tactical player, a single-player RPG. It's showing PlayStation Vita and PlayStation 4, and I don't know if that means that it was released on both at the same time or if we got one after the other. It, it was on both at the same time, and there's cross-save and all the... Ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's fancy, cross-save and stuff. Yep. So, um, uh, did you get to play this one as well? Yes, yes, I played this for review for the site. This was the very first game where I got a game code before it came out. Oh, why don't you tell us all about it then? Oh, goodness. So, Summon Night 6. Um, You start out with this character, Raj, and there are just pieces of, like, buildings and... uh, things just falling from the sky and landing in this world. And there's, well, Raj and these two other characters who you eventually meet, which is Amu and Isk. They live in this, what is it called? Cocoon world of Fallujah. And, like, every single day there's just, like, stuff falling from the sky, and that's what they live off of. So you start out, this game is split up where... Like, the first, like, five chapters are with Raj, and then the next five chapters are with Amu, and then they introduce Isk. These three characters are separated from one another. They don't, well, it, it gets into the story later on, but it, at least initially, they uh, Raj and Amu don't know that each other exists. And the game starts out with um, when it's not just buildings and things that are falling into this world, but summon night characters start falling into the world. <laughs> so in, instead of um, the, the plot of this game was, Oh, geez, I was reading through my notes before uh, recording the podcast tonight. And I, I'm just like, I'm reading my notes and I'm reading my review and I'm like, I was way too kind to this game in the review after going back and looking at my notes. Cause the, the plot of this game, basically every single chapter would be um, summon, you know, some character from one of the old Summon Night games falls into the world. You run into them. They think you're some sort of enemy. You fight them. After you defeat them, they decide like, oh, you're not an enemy. I'm going to join up with you to figure out what's going on and then rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And that continues for like, 18 chapters or something like that. And there's not really much plot that really happens. It's just every single chapter is we've got, you know, our, you know, four new uh, summon night characters from some of the old games. They fall in. You have this misunderstanding. They fight. They decide like, oh, you're a good guy after all. I'll join up with you. And then, you know, rinse and repeat over and over and over again. And once you, um, so once you've gone through the first couple of sections, you go through the section with the the first character, Raj, and then Amu, um, you finally kind of like get to this point where you break through the separation in this world between like Raj and Amu are kind of like somehow segregated off. And you're able to kind of like connect these different parts of the world. And then 
you meet this person, Isk, who's kind of like the third main character of the game, who is the overseer of the world. And once you meet him, it's immediately apparent that he knows at least a decent bit of what's going on. And then the uh, chapters kind of become like, okay, we're, some of the characters get together, go and ask Isk, okay, what, what is really going on in this world? And then Isk goes, oh, hey, look, there's some more people who have just fallen out of the sky. Perhaps you should go save them. And then they, the, the characters lose interest in talking to Isk, and they go off and save him. <laughs> it, oh, man, I was so frustrated with the story of this game, or, or lack thereof. It just did the same thing over and over and over again. This is kind um, of reminding me of that entry Phil found on, I think it was three. Or have you already forgotten, Phil? Uh, my mic won't turn off mute. Um, I keep talking and nothing happens. No, I was, I was saying, I was just, I was trying to say, like, it, yeah, it does. And I'm wondering if this one is the slowest gazelle, at least in terms of story, if it somehow managed to usurp that title from Summon Nights Three. Yeah, I think it may have. Like, this is obviously one of those games. Even though it's talked about like a mainline game, it feels more like a spin-off thing. You know, it, it's very much treading on nostalgia. You know, like it, it, it's a game where it's intended where the player who's playing it is going to have a ton of nostalgia and just be happy to see like, oh, there's my favorite character from Summon Night 2. And now they're in the same world as Summon Night 4. Oh, isn't it cool to see these char- all these old char- old you know, all these old characters that I liked from these other games? But, you know, we didn't get any of these games here in English. So that that effect kind of falls flat for anyone who's playing it. It, it doesn't work when the only game you've possibly played is five. And, well, I, I guess in fairness, some of the characters from the mainline games also kind of crossed over into the uh, GBA and DS uh, spinoff games. and so They, they may have know, done so, but also I didn't get that reference. <laughs> there were probably a lot of characters that if I had been familiar with the main lines in the Swordcraft story games, I would have been, oh, hey, it's the best pal from Summer Night 2. Oh, we had so many good times. Maybe that character is just standing around Mm -hmm. inside one of the buildings and you get to exchange happy, fun memories of long past times. But again, we we didn't get those games. (laughs) Yeah. So... Like I said, as you continue on, like after what what seemed like forever of like that that same loop uh, going over and over and over again of like not ever moving the game forward, just more and more characters falling into the world. You go and save them, rinse and repeat. Um, like you find out that this world has been uh, created by like this. I, don't know what you would exactly call him, like a god. And and the the purpose of the world is basically there to, uh, like he's pulling souls and into the world so that they can be consumed. And Isk is like, essentially like his son. And Isk is, the, you know, like that. that's why all these uh, characters are being pulled into the world is the idea is that Isk is supposed to like devour them all and kind of like take on godhood by doing that. But unfortunately for the god, Isk isn't really interested in killing everyone. And so he joins you with all the other characters and they go and take out this kind of like, you know, like the good old JRPG trope of fighting god and defeating god. And that that's basically how the game ends up. 
Like I, I <laughs> it sounds like I'm really summarizing the story, but really there isn't even the story doesn't even get started until about two thirds, three quarters of the way through. And and then there's just the short, you know, once you finally find out like, oh, okay, there's this God that is pulling these souls into this world. And, you know, the, the point is to turn Isk into a God, but he doesn't want to be. Then it's kind of just like a straight shot to the end. <laughs> most of the game is centered around like the, uh, or most of the story anyway, is centered around like the characters in the, the, in the character interactions, like in the earlier games. And, Unfortunately, like there's just so many characters in this game, like it doesn't quite have the same impact like it did in five because they are pulling in like I think it was like like six characters at least from each and every entry, including a lot of the spinoff portable ones. So the cast ballooned to like 30 or 40 and there were just so many characters, you know, like every single time, you know, all these little story events would happen. You'd have like six or eight characters all having to chime in about it. And there would be tons of these little side events, but most of them are kind of uh, a, a lot of them just weren't. They lost a lot of the impact when you didn't. It's almost like you're missing half of the jokes that you haven't played if you haven't played the earlier game. I, I remember there was like one character who was from one of the earlier games who would just go on and on about the uh, the the wonders of potatoes, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, that, that's that's interesting, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know how much I can listen to someone talk about potato, you know. Well, the potato is a potentially fascinating source of information. Without it, think how would the Irish have survived and gotten as far as they did, but. In the form of a game, that's something else entirely. If I'm learning about potatoes, I'm probably not going to be doing it from a game, the same as I would probably not be trying to learn about, oh, I don't know, the agrarian techniques of northern Russia. Let's just pick a random issue. (laughs) Do I want to learn about that from what's coming up? From Mario and Rabbids. Not only would I not expect it, but I don't think I would learn much if it came in that format. Oh, one thing I I think... One feature, at least of five and six, I think I got kind of forgot to mention when I was talking about five, is like there is kind of like almost like a light. It, it, I don't want to say dating sim element, but like at the end of each chapter in five, and it's the same thing here in six. Like you get to choose one character that you have like a small conversation with at the end of the chapter. Oh yeah, that that was back in the very first one, so I guess ah. it just continues continues on and like it it like one it can change like i know like in five like it could kind of like a change their affection level it would also somewhat unlock like different endings in the game depending on like which character you had the highest affection level with so yeah and i can tell you that much was happening in the first seminar i can't tell you what was said but you, you definitely seem to have certain options that are zeroed out by the end because, oh, you haven't been chatting with that character enough. Yep, that kind of stuff continues on on into, you know, five and six. And that's obviously where, like, a lot of the um, a lot of the interest in this game would be if you were a Summon Night fan and had played all the games. Like, all those character interactions are probably great, whereas in this one, eh, not so much. <laughs> it, it just, it falls flat. You know, like it was cool seeing that my seeing the characters come back from Summon Night Five, but they were kind of dwarfed by you know the other 
30 something characters from all the other games. And and the lack of an interesting story kind of tying it together wasn't wasn't helping either. Um let's see, gameplay was still really good in the game. Like it was still a you know, Media Vision does usually pretty decent stuff, and the gameplay in this one was pretty solid. They did this weird thing where in addition, you know, there's normal tactical RPG sort of stuff, but they put in like this side um action RPG thing in it that it, it was weird. It was almost like a mobile game because you didn't actually control the characters. You just like picked a party. They would go out and attack enemies. And then the only thing you controlled was like when they would do like spe- each of the characters that you pick would have special moves. So one of them might, might be able to heal your party. One of them might have like a special attack. And so you just controlled like when you did that one move. So it was this weird thing that was that kind of played almost like a mobile game, but I found like it was like really addictive. It was like a way for leveling up your character, you know, to really level up your party and get like bonuses, like this bizarre little side thing that Media Vision threw in. Um, geez, what else was there about Summon Night that I wanted to say? Um, this one I remember the uh, the the balance was a little weird in this one. It was one where. Um, this one, at least you could change the difficulty setting while you were playing, but it, my memory is that hard, this was one of those games where hard was just a little bit, a little bit too hard or basically like was a little bit too grindy, I guess you might say, in, in my opinion. And normal was like a little bit too easy and it, it just didn't quite hit it just perfectly. I think what I ended up doing since I was playing it for review kind of in a compressed time frame, I ended up playing on normal and then just not doing any uh, like optional missions, cut back on the grinding. And then after a while that kind of like balanced out to a, a, a good difficulty level. But I do remember it kind of the, the difficulty being a bit off on that one. Um, oh geez. Like music both in five and six was really good, but uh, this game added uh, voice acting. And um, you know how we talked about in 5, they, they, they didn't bother to uh, even include the Japanese voice acting? You know, some, sometimes you, you might be better off with nothing than, than, what, <laughs> than what you might be able to afford on a limited budget. Because this game had some of the most inconsistent voice acting I've ever seen in a video. Like, you'll have, you know, you'll have games where it's just, like, bad across the board. And you See, have also chaos wars. Yeah, exactly. This one isn't that. Like there are just there are some characters where the voice acting is perfectly good, would not be out of place in any RPG. And then there are some characters who are just completely flat. It's just like they are reading the lines with no emotion whatsoever. And it's just it's when you get a couple of those characters, you know, having a dialogue back and forth. It is just the weirdest, most jarring thing in a video game. <laughs> a look over there. Do you see? There's a monster. Maybe we should fight it. No, no, that we are not able to fight it yet. Come on, we should find more help first. Something like that. Yeah, pretty much like that. But then there'll be like a character that's well, really lively, <laughs> mixed in, and it's. Just, I, I've never seen that. <laughs> was such an odd contrast. Consistency, you will not be found here. No, afraid not. Okay. And, and it's a Vic Ireland game, so there were some 
you know, some uh, fun little references in it. I remember, you know, one of the characters, I think he must have been from like Summon Night 3, was a pirate. And they made uh, jokes about him wearing a, a puffy pirate shirt and him going like, I don't want to be a pirate. We got our Seinfeld references in. <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> Lord help. Uh, all in all, I mean, it was an okay game. It, it, I think I was probably a little bit generous in it. It was not as, wasn't, was not as charming as five, unfortunately. Five was like really charming. This one, the battle system was pretty good. It's a pretty decent for, honestly, you know, for a strategy RPG, it's not a bad looking game. I know that sounds like it's kind of like damning with faint praise, but I mean, it is a pretty good looking game. It plays really well on both the Vita and the PS4. But it, it, it's one of those things, like, the story is just so, so frustrating and insipid. Uh, and and the, uh, like, the the interest in that game is going to be like, oh, man, I like these characters, but no one is, <laughs> no, since no one has played any, uh, any of the other games in English, it's just, like, who does this appeal to, unfortunately? You, you said it's a pretty game, is it as pretty... Uh, no, I forgot what I was going to ask. I had a thought and it left my head. You, you weren't like going to say Valkyria gaz- Chronicles, were you? Like a slow gazelle. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just not the slowest. It just kind of, you know, slowly walked away. It pranced away. Yeah, yeah. This one, this one, if this one isn't the slowest in the pack, it's it's pretty far down there. It, it's, it's in danger from the cheetahs. And I think it was, I believe it was your review that talked me out of getting this because... Normally, I, I when I start getting into a series, uh, especially one like like Summer Nights Five, I liked it, but I stopped it because of the bugs. But I figured they were going to patch that up. But by then, I moved on to other things and I gone back to it. So when the six came out, I would have probably just defaulted to 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 picking it up. But then I kind of saw your view, and it's like, eh, no, it doesn't look so great. <laughs> yeah, it had a fancy collector's edition for six. Yeah. I think they did like a bunch of. I think they even did like different versions for the two main characters. Help me remember: Has Gaijin Works released anything except for these two Summon Night games? Uh, they did. Uh, what was it? Class of Heroes, Phil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did they do that? Oh yeah. 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 On the yeah. P- that was still PSP, wasn't it? Or no, they uh, yeah. PS- was PSP. release of that. There was. Oh my gosh! There was the the PSP, but I played it. There was also a PlayStation. Uh, three and yeah. what was really cool, and I'm I'm, I'm thinking Classic Heroes two now, so I'm kind of branching out. So yeah, I, yeah. I think it was Classic Heroes two. Classic Heroes was Atlas, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, Classic Heroes yeah. two is Atlas, and it was just on the PSP uh, or Classic Heroes one. I mean, Classic Heroes um, two for PSP. What was very super interesting um, about that one was you could you you could um pl- you would play it on your PlayStation 3 but you could use your PSP as a controller and it would be a second screen where it would have like a map or the statistics of the monster you were fighting there on the second screen and that was pretty cool the problem is that the PSP PS3 um interface wasn't the best so it, it wasn't it wasn't always timely which i guess for a dungeon crawler you know it doesn't have to be you know, super Perfect, tight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but 
um, but I did have a few hiccups, and it, it was like a novelty thing that was kind of cool. But when the Wii U, you know, came out, which was was around that time or right after it, I was just like, I was waiting for more dungeon crawlers like that where I could use the bottom screen, like to draw the map or have the map or have the monster statistics. And we never really got like basically Class of Heroes two was as close as we would get to this idea that we could have et- like an Etrian Odyssey like experience on a console on a home console and um yeah I'm sorry I didn't mean to go off on that but that was a little 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 thing for my past my gaming past it was cool yeah stop reminding uh, me of how Etrian Odyssey is hard to do on console yeah uh, published by it was it was published by Monkey Paw Games uh, English uh, localization by Gaijin Works, um, but yeah, it is Class of Heroes. Uh, you know, now now we're off on a tangent, but Class of Heroes is essentially what became of the Wizardry series. Don't let its little cute looks fool you. If you're looking at screenshots of Class of Heroes or Class of Heroes Two, and you're like, "Ooh, look at all those really cute anime characters with big eyes. This looks like it's going to be a beginner's dungeon crawler." <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, that's how they sucker you in. This thing is his basically wizardry, just every bit. In fact, they somehow took wizardry and made it more complicated. <laughs> so, yeah, no. But anywho, uh, we digress. Uh, so that's Summon Night Night Six. It, it doesn't exactly have our rigging endorsement, but no. it does get the stamp of not the slowest gazelle <laughs> <laughs> endorsement. If you're um, going to play any of the mainline Summon Night games, play Summon Night 5. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I did enjoy my four to six hours with it. I should go back and give it a shot now that it's probably been patched up to death. Um, oh, I where my PSP's at. Uh, anywho, uh, but yeah, check it all out. Uh, did, did we want to go over any of the side games, or are we ready to jump yes. into the final lap? Yes, we do. Okay. Which, because uh, I which... actually played some of these. <laughs> all right, so, so which one did you play, Mr. Mink? I played Swordcraft Story, Swordcraft Story 2, and... Oh, right, the Swordcraft Story ones. What would have been Swordcraft Story 3 if it came out in English, but I didn't play it. And Twin Age. And if we had Gaijin uh, on the show, then we could have him talk about Tears Crown, but not here, so we'll just have to look at his review. Summonite Craft Sword Monogatari. Hai- yeah, that's, that's the third one. Haiji Baru no Ishi. That's number three. Number three, okay. It would not have that. been Swordcraft Story 3, but... Instead, it's Crap Sword Story, Hajimari no Ishii. Ah, of course. Summon Night Swordcraft Story was released in Japan on April 25th, 2003, in the North America on July 26th, 2006. Uh, published uh, or developed by Fly Plan and published in North America by Atlas for the um, uh, Game Boy Advance. And it was published in 2006, which is three and- years after it was originally made. Yeah, and this is this uh yeah, North America July 26, 2006. The the this is this is a game that you that 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 is a 10-day game from what I understand. Oh, what? 10 days. The entire game consists of 10 days. Oh yeah, I do dimly remember this. There it's completely story-based, so it, you can just sit around and until you have done the thing that you need to do to make it t- move on to the next day, then it's not going to happen, but it's there because the story of this game revolves around a fighting tournament. With Let's get ready to rumble. Never heard you of play, that before. I know. <laughs> I I figured that I had to allow this to be to sink into your mind. That's why I gave it plenty of buffering space. 
before your poor brains were allowed to encompass this amazing, novel, unique, incredibly unorthodox concept. You are trying to be the craft lord. Uh-huh. And of course, to be a craft lord, you go into a craft lord tournament. Like the usual Summon Night games, you play as either a boy or a girl. The boy is Claru. The girl is Pratty. I wouldn't want to be known as Pratty, but that's her name. <laughs> and you have to pick a beast to summon, which does your magic for you. You have four choices. And I guess this is where some of the replay comes from, because, well, you pick a different summon beastie, then you get different magic options. This does not play anything like a tactical game. If you look at it in action, it far more resembles something from Tales of. You play the craft, the crafting person, and it's kind of Tales of with a little street fire, of all things. You have some moves to do. It's all in real time. Using items is in real time, so if you can't get away for a second to use it, then you're going to get smacked and you can't do it. Using your your summon beastie to do a spell, that also takes a second. So if you can't get it back off for a second and let it happen, then you're going to get smacked and you won't get to do it. And you have five total weapon types to use. You've got swords. But I know. Hold your breath. This is a game where you fight with sword. You've got spears, which, amazingly enough, can't be used at extreme close range. I mean, that's a severe design flaw of the spear. Axes. Knuckles. And drills. Drills are kind of interesting because, well, you can just keep them going. For Just hold down the attack button and you'll keep drilling. Although that means that they'll break because, of course, you have weapon durability in this game. I know Phil loves weapon durability. Yeah, I like it when the weapon breaks early and often. And especially in like a real-time game where I have to keep pausing to go find a, you know another one in my inventory. Well, you get to have three things that you can switch between at any point in battle, and they'll break if you use them too much, and then you have to wait until battle's over to go switch select something else. And, ooh, d- the tournament fights, now those are fun, because there you are told this is the type of weapon you must bring, and only that weapon. So if it breaks in a tournament fight, uh, oops, you, you have to try again. Let's see, and the crafting element. You, you of course, you learn new crafting materials, new crafting abilities to fashion. Oh, I have, a, I can now make this type of knuckle. Oh, I can now make this type of sword. And you will sometimes be asked, you have to make this many spears, or you have to make this type of sword before you can get anywhere. And the crafting also depends upon you having exactly the right materials and the materials are randomly dropped from battle so it's quite possible that you might be fighting something and oh crap why won't you drop the that element that i need in order to complete this formula oh because it's random that's that's just totally that's corner uh the random numbered god <laughs> especially when it for some reason, I'm remembering Crimson Shroud and how there's a point where you have to get something that is only dropped randomly in a battle, and until you do, the game won't move. That's that's just great, great game design. I love it. Um, now, the combat itself is pretty fun. moves fast. It's Also, combat looks a lot better than everything else. Everything else looks like fairly early GBA graphics. Combat looks a lot better. Combat looks really good, actually, for a GBA game. It does. There's a lot of palette swapping, but otherwise, yeah, I have no real complaints with it. it. It looks good. It moves pretty fast. It's 
relatively easy for the most part, which is fine considering the stupid breakable weapons and the certain points where you need to have this specific thing done. And it's good that battle looks that good because the dungeon, the 50 floor dungeon that you're going through, except for some brief excursions elsewhere, that dungeon looks the same the whole way through. Hmm. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's disappointing. And the music is honestly, the music sounded very much like some of those GBA games. Remember the ones where the GBA speakers were just not being harnessed to their full capacity. And it just sounded underwhelming in audio quality. The tunes themselves were okay, but they sounded as if they were coming out of an NES speaker rather than a GBA, which is disappointing. I guess an an NES sound chip. I'm sorry. And that is, I mean, I could talk about more of it. Atlas did a fine localization. Atlas usually does. Unfortunately, it did not appear to pay off in terms of making the game sell well enough to warrant breaking down the floodgates and have everything, having everything else come across the ocean. So there, yeah. I, I have spoken some on Summon Night Swordcraft Story 1. Yeah, I guess maybe bringing over a PS2 game was more expensive than a, like a small little GBA game. Those, those, those PS2 games must have had fairly sizable uh, scripts. With all the different, all with the different protagonists and all the different, you know, crosses, probably was part of what kept them in Japan. I would think. Yeah, and I don't know if Atlas would have just axed the voice acting entirely or kept it in Japanese. If it had done that in two thousand six, that seven, axing the voice acting probably would have gotten less attention than it would now. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know what it goes for now. It's a GBA game, so you'll have to get the physical copy. Oh, you can't buy it off the GBA eStore? That's a shame. I don't think it ever made it to the Wii U. The the Virtual Console Edition? I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing that one on the Wii U Virtual Console. Uh, That would have probably required somebody to take interest in it and renew the license, and that may not have happened. Well... Well, you can you can uh, you can get the um, you can get the cartridge for twelve dollars. Would you say it's worth twelve dollars? You know what? Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it twelve dollars. Okay, but it if you're the slowest, works. if you're the slowest gazelle, you might want to spend full price for this, right? And get it brand new seal and mint in the box. Well, I don't know how much that's going to be because you haven't told me. Well, that would be the low, low price of $112, Mr. Minky. Hmm. I'm going to say that $112 is a little more than this is worth. So the the final deal or no deal? <laughs> like the I'm like Howie Mandel here. Deal or no deal? If the deal is $112, I'd say you can find better things to pay your water bill with the $112. $12? Yeah, you can... It's not terribly long, so you'll get fairly good value for money. Which is another reason not to go for $112. Ponder Dragoon Saga can support being a short game that's, that's highly expensive. Summon Knight Swordcraft Story 1, I don't think can quite make that. So, what about... Let's talk about Summon Knight Swordcraft Story 2. Uh, this was released in Japan on August 20, 2004, and in North America on October 17th, 2006. Developed by Flat Plan and brought to us by Atlas. Did you say Flat Plan or Flight Plan? Flight Plan. Okay. 
There might that's be the, a developer out there named Flat Plan, but I've never that's heard. That's the Devastator talking. <laughs> I forgot. We're, man, we haven't referenced Devastator for a little while. What the heck is wrong with you, Phil? Yeah, it's July. It's July third. It's like the night before July fourth. It's Devastator night. <laughs> okay, Swordcraft Story Two. Combat I can sum up pretty easily because it's almost identical to the first one. The same weapon types. Same basic structure, a lot of the same enemy visuals. There's really not a whole lot else to say because it behaves so similarly. The story itself, well, we don't have a tournament to become the crafting master anymore. Instead, we have an evil creature, Gora, that ha- that was sealed and has been released. Which takes us into a whole new realm of unprecedented completely flabbergasting plot developments. And had I, had I been a staff member at the time I wrote this review, I probably would have been pressed to say a little more, but the character you play this time is one of the most naive dunderheads I've ever seen. Constantly flummoxed and surprised by just about everything, which of course makes the profusion of dialogue, um, less entertaining. Atlas did a fine localization, but when you've got a whole bunch of dialogue that's just, what do I do? You do this. How do I do it? You do it this way. Why am I doing it? Do it that way. Where am I going? You go there. Why? When am I going there? Going there in the morning. What am I doing again? That stops being entertaining, <laughs> no matter how if effective the localization is. Doesn't matter how punchy you make it. <laughs> you can't cover that up. There, there is a change in environment, in field interaction. In the first Swordcraft story, you had a hammer. A hammer would do things when you were just in the dungeon, not fighting. Here, you can actually switch between your five weapon types to do things on the field. It's, it's nothing more than stuff that other games have been doing for years. Oh, oh my goodness, there are rocks in my, there are rocks in my path. What should I do? I should switch to possibly the knuckles or something. And I want to say that the music was also better in this game, but most other ways, it's very similar to the first Swordcraft story, and only with a more belabored plot. Let's go with that. And so I wasn't particularly impressed with it at the time. Not terrible, but this is definitely close to the back of the gazelle pack. Oh, that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, you like you just know if the slowest gazelle gets picked off, you're like you're next. And yeah, that is probably where this one is going to have to end up because it doesn't have the novelty of the first one, and it doesn't it barely does anything different from the first one. And what it does do differently is not necessarily an improvement. So that's not so good. Well, maybe. And it also, by the way, goes for about a hundred ten dollars, brand new in the box. What about not brand new in the box? Uh, I got a copy here for fifteen. If you're a GBA collector, honestly, I'm surprised because some Atlas games have never really receded in price, and this one kind of has. Can't imagine why, based on what you said. <laughs> I know, after my ringing endorsement. Right? Hmm. Uh, well, what about uh, what about if we double down and uh, talk about Summonite Twin Age? Uh, this was also Wait, do we developed... want to talk about that now, or do we want to talk about what would have been Swordcraft Story 3? There was a third one. That's that's Summonite Craft Sword story, Hajimari no Ishii. Oh, well, yeah, of course. 
what you just said. <laughs> so what is it? Did you get to play that? I did get to play that one. I even reviewed Ooh. it after I became a step. Wait a minute. You're supposed to do the countdown intro for us, Phil. What are we doing? Uh, what's it called again? <laughs> Swordcraft 3? <laughs> like you went, sorry, spelling off Japanese, you lost me. <laughs> Summon Knight Craft Sword, Hajimari no Ishii. Oh, see, there you go. See, that, that's, that's, that's where you lost me. You know, Isn't like... Really, what is Wikipedia doing, Phil? I thought we had... I thought that Wikipedia was going to help you. <laughs> So, this was released in Japan on December 8, 2005. Brought to us by a flat, 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 flapple plan. Flapadally plan. <laughs> oh, this is some good beer. And uh, Van Presto, I think. I'm pretty sure it looks like a Van Presto. Your certainty on is reassuring. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Van Presto. All right. Woo! Okay, so there are a few changes here. Again, not major. If you've played the, either of the first two, then you know more or less how it's going to work. Although that also makes the combat system very easy to understand because it looks like a fighting game and plays more or less like one. There are a couple changes in that you can actually summon your beasts in battle. They'll stay there for a strictly limited amount of time. You'll see a bar going down, but they will fight in your place for a little bit. Which is, that can be helpful. Instead of just coming in to do a spell, they can pop in to fight. And also, if the if your boy or girl goes down in battle, the guardian beast can actually automatically jump in to keep fighting until its time limit goes away. Which might be able to make you eke out a win. And that's that's kind of helpful. <laughs> and we have a sixth weapon type. Bow and arrow! Ooh. I... I had to use an exclamation point there because, again, bows and arrows, those are revolutionary. Oh, yeah. Changed how we do war. And since this one was never translated, I can't tell you a whole lot about what's happening here. You've got uh, Richie is the boy and Riff Monica is the girl. Riff Monica. Riff Monica. What a name. And it's there right in Katakana, so I can read it clearly. It says Riff Monica. That. I don't know. She she looks like she's about five, but maybe if you're Riff Monica, you grow fast. And of course, you've got a young lady named Muno who is being sought by bad people because Muno is, is the key to unlocking something powerful. And you've got a protagonist trying to discover his or herself as a weapons maker and ending up protecting Muno. And beyond that, I can't tell you much because after a certain point of seeing nonstop Japanese dialogue, I couldn't really tell you the nuances here. But I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's similar to the first two Swordcraft stories in that it could probably have been edited somewhat. We, we did mention these are chatty little games. We did, but it bears repeating because, A, because that's completely fitting with the subject matter, and B, because somebody might have switched in half an hour late and missed that critical point. And I noted in my review that the the music quality has improved. The sound quality in Swordcraft Story 2 improved, but the actual compositions weren't all that great. Here, the sound quality and the compositions have improved, which is impressive and, like, and likable. However, there are no save points in dungeons, and this is a portable game. 
That can be a problem. That that sounds like a fun way to go. Remember, this is the GBA. You couldn't put it in suspend mode. No. Unless no. you're playing it in the DS. Well, and even with the DS, the GBA game doesn't suspend. It it stays turned on. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm thinking of a couple of things that I bought on Virtual Console on 3DS, which do go to suspend, but that uh, yeah, that that's not how it works with original GBA games in the cartridge form. No. Nope. Mm-hmm. So what I wrote in my conclusion here is that it's the best of the Swordcraft story games. It hones what worked well. It more or less dispenses with di- what didn't, and uh, what didn't, what doesn't work for the series as a whole is still there. So it's not going to convince somebody who is always iffy about these that this is worth trying. But if you're up for an import and you thought, man, I I really liked those first two i want to see where it goes from here give it a shot you'll understand what you're doing this the crafting is pretty much the same and i honestly can't come up with a whole lot else to say about it except that it refines what worked before and does not come up with an amazing game but comes up with the best iteration of it in the swordcraft trilogy hmm. middle of the gazelle pack the middle of the gazelle pack <laughs> Oh, man, lots of gazelles on tonight's show. I know. Okay. We're, we're, taking a, we're taking you, the listener, on a virtual trek through the Serengeti tonight. Serengeti right. of JRPGs. Another yeah. night, we'll probably see who's bringing up the middle of the hyena pack. Ooh. Is it time for Summonite X Tear Crown? We can talk about it just by looking at our own Michael Baker's review, I think. I don't know. I just it just it just popped up and searching for some night and it it just it just caught my eye because it looks cute. It looks looks it looks all very these some night games are pretty colorful. They they are they're cute looking games. Yeah yeah they're just they're cute looking games that but it's like lipstick on a gazelle. You know you just don't <laughs> know if you're going to get the slowest one or not. But it's got lipstick. It's real pretty. <laughs> and they're going to talk your ear off. This is true. This is this is true. I wonder mm. what would happen if a character got lockjaw in this series. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> hmm. Uh. Wait. So wait. We want to do Twin Age. Twin Age. Yeah. Twin Age. Also developed by Flight Plan and released uh, in North America by Atlas on the Nintendo DS on June third, two thousand and eight. This is an action RPG experience. Well, so are the Swordcraft story games, but no, this no, is this a very one, different type. This one's, this one's very action-packed. Super action-packed. Well, it is. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm looking at my old review, and something went wrong with the screens. So I can't look at what I'm saying. I can't look, I can't look at what I was seeing when I wrote my picture captions. That's very annoying. Okay, Twin Age. Here, here's how it does something very different, the series. You, of course, have a boy, Aldo, and a girl, Reha, but... In a series first, you play as both simultaneously. Ooh, brouhaha! So I guess that really that really reduces the replay incentive because you're going to see everything more. Well, I guess it plays out slightly differently depending on which one you selected at the beginning, but not nearly as differently as if one of them just isn't there. Yeah, and you have ally characters. One of them will be on screen with you, and I felt like mentioning holy cow did i really write this 11 years ago that (laughs) it had decent ai so you control one of the characters at a time the other two on screen are controlled by ai 
And it's not a very difficult game, but the AI was pretty decent. I don't know if I would still think that 11 years later, but I felt like mentioning it then, so I'm going to mention it now. Impressive for DS AI. I suppose, yes. Which, compared to, say, original Game Boy AI, would probably be amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's the power of the DS. Double the AI. And, of course, since it's the DS, we must have many things that use the touchscreen, such as your magic. And when you use magic in this game, the character using magic is invulnerable until the spell is completed. But that also applies to the enemies. And, well, let's see here. There's a, I'm trying to remember what else there is to say, because I have to actually look at my review to remember what this thing was about. It looked cute. The sound was fine. The inventory. Oh, yes, the inventory. That also uses the touchscreen. So you've got 12 slots for your magic. You've got another 12 slots for items. And you use the touchscreen. You touch the touchscreen, the little bit of it that's left, to determine, I want to attack that. So it's probably a good thing that the game isn't terribly challenging because being so touchscreen reliant, that would have been a severe problem if you wanted more precise control. Uh, <laughs> this was one of those DS games, huh? However, our our well-remembered Michael Cunningham also reviewed this game, and Adrian and Denny Nowden, whom people don't read reviews by, also reviewed it. So apparently it was a very popular thing to finish this and review it for the site back in 2008. I, I can't fully explain it, but it happened a lot. And I, all, I enjoyed my time with it, and yet I haven't thought much about it since. So I guess that puts it ahead of the back of the pack, but also not towards the front. We are, we are getting another middle-of-the-pack gazelle here that offers something distinct from all of the others in, in the form of all of its touchscreen mechanics, though. So, there. so it's it's a gazelle with like different colored fur. How about a different haircut? Hmm. This is twenty two dollars and fifty cents. Complete in box. Deal or no deal? I'd give it a conditional recommendation. Yeah, I, I'd say it's worth the time. It's not very long. Which the the older we get, the more I appreciate games that don't needlessly drag on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like the games that don't needlessly linger. And I don't even remember its text being as obnoxiously repetitive as the Swordcraft story games, for whatever that's worth. It's still there. It's a Summon Night game, so there will be unnecessarily protracted conversations, but they're less overwhelming. Hmm. And I can't think of much else to say about it. So there, Summon Night Twin Age. One of the most lukewarm recommendations I can possibly give. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the middle of the gazelle. Buy it today. Did you not find any sealed in the shrink wrap? Hmm. Let's see. We got... Oh, here we go. Uh, Summon Night Twin Age Mint opened. Oh, no, that was opened and never opened. played. Opened? Uh, now, we are. We, we deserve better than that. What are we, GameStop here? Uh, here we go. <laughs> new, new and sealed U.S. version. Uh, $64.88. Hmm. That's interesting. Because that means that it's valued at a significantly lower price point than the Swordcraft story games. The uh, another one here for that's brand new, factory sealed for sixty two ninety nine. It was sixty nine ninety nine, but now it's ten percent off. Mm. But is there sales tax applied? Mm. There might that's be sales question. tax applied once you go in there. Yeah, could be. 
yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it at that price because but I, I think I paid thirty bucks for it. Remember back when DS games all cost about thirty bucks before they started jacking the prices up to forty? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> any oh go ahead. No, and, and now we don't have any port games that are give us the nice little discount over everything oh my, 60. Oh my gosh. You know what? You just remind me. I'm going to put it down on my notes for final lap. We're going to talk about the damn Switch tax. I am so Uh-oh. sick of it. Okay. Now Phil's rant's coming. All right. But is there any other Summit Night games we want to talk about before we close to the shop? Starting on your list, Mr. Mickey? Other, there are a whole bunch of other spinoffs, but I haven't played them. And Michael Baker is not here to mention the ones that he's played because I know he's touched a couple of them. So. Yeah, there are many other Summon Night games. Josh, you looked at that that link I sent you of mm-hmm. that quick compilation. It it's crazy how many uh, spinoff Summon Night games there were. They were I think there are PS2 GBA days. One of the one of them at least might have been even on mobile. It was hard to tell. It looked like yeah. it could have been a mobile. There, yeah, no, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty insane. Yeah, there's, there's one a... called there's one summon night ex which just seemed interesting because of the concept you seven eight nine playing... 10, 11, 13, 13 summon night games oh, go ahead there's your character that shares the same body one girl one boy and you have to switch between them because only the girl can hurt certain enemies and only the boy can hurt others hmm. so you have to switch back and forth all the time in order to kill things weird yeah i i suppose it could be turned into some kind of a political art treatise but this is a japanese game so that didn't happen <laughs> no <laughs> like at least summon night five it, it, it's a perfectly good little chatty tactical rpg with you know like the weird little uh almost light dating sim type elements like it, it it's a cute little game if you find it you know if you like tactical rpgs it's worth a look mm-hmm. that, that that one at the front of the pack is worth a look. yeah yeah, definitely. I uh, yeah, summon summon i five is uh, special. It's at the front of tonight's gazelle pack. Yeah, yeah, it's at the front of the gazelle, and this gazelle pack, the pack as a whole, is not the slowest pack out there. Just gonna put that out. Anywho, uh, well, you know, uh, so we don't want to be the slowest podcast either. So we're gonna take a break, and uh, we'll come back to do the final lap.
we have returned, and this is the final lap. We'll read your comments, and we do kitchen sink stuff, and oh so much more. Our last episode, number 206, The Telltale Compile Heart, uh, was a very interesting and very long even by our standards podcast, uh, we had uh, we had we had a couple of, of comments and um, uh, we started off with Sakura Angel saying, oh, boy, here we go. And I think that's probably before he he or she actually listened to it because then he posted afterwards or she um, much longer. But uh, last him on Earth. Uh, said, as someone who still hasn't played a single Idea Factory Compile Hard game, this was definitely an interesting trip down uncharted territory for me. <laughs> it was certainly a roller coaster of emotions. I can say that much. And P.S. Thanks for giving my Sword and Fairy 6 review a shout out. <laughs> You're welcome. Hmm. Um, and, oh... Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this, Mike, because it references you, and so I, I will give you a chance to respond. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> Angel says, before my speech about Compile, here is something I have to say. Sorry for my spelling text on previous episode comments. Breath of the Wild really don't play yet between, between, uh, World I Like. Um, I can't stand Morgana or his... This is regarding Persona 5. Oh, oh. Oh, you need to study? You can't go to sleep. And for some reason, I can bring myself to finishing the game. Oh, don't have that issue with Persona 3 or 4. Uh, not on compile. Um, oh boy, I enjoy every minute. Yes, every aspect and misstep in their games has been mentioned. And like apps, Rebirth 3 just has too much funny dialogue and almost no action. If you like to have a chronological line of Neptunia games, here is one. The original... Okay. Oh, go ahead. The original Hyperdimension Neptunia, mm-hmm. which is, was remade as Rebirth 1. Hyperdimension Neptunia Mark 2, remade as Rebirth 2. Hyperdimension Neptunia Victory, remade as Rebirth 3. Hyperdimension Neptunia... I can't remember if that's VII or VI or uh, seven. <laughs> no, Probably it's... not. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it can't be seven. That would be too obvious. <laughs> and which was remade as VIIR. <laughs> oh, oh, for a VR aspect, just what we want in a hyperdimension Neptunia game. Let's have it in virtual reality. Well, that way you can see the fully figured characters. In their full figures. And probably trip over something as you try to maneuver, right? Around their full figures. <laughs> yep. Don't need to have the sets to play the games, and also VIIR changed the battle mechanics a little, but compared with the other games, the rest of the games are spun off in their own universe or dimension, but can be ignored. <laughs> okay, I will take your advice to heart and comfortably ignore them. The um, now for the big no-no of the night, Mary Skelter, Mike again. Thanks for the review and uh, sharing your experience. And if you really like, I could buy you Mary Skelter to full price for the system that you want to enjoy it on. And I will even take you to the well, it's hospital. Only on, it's only on Switch. <laughs> and, uh, and I will even take you to the hospital if anything horrible happens to you. It's a generous offer there, Mike. I, I think you... I, how do you say no to that? 
I may ask for a slight bit of time to pass, given that Alex has given me some other things on Steam to review, but if you want me so badly to play Mary Skelter 2, I suppose I must respect your wishes at some point. So, uh, there you go. Thank you for another great episode, guys. Well, you're very welcome. I'm glad you received some sort of enjoyment out of our pain. You... I feel as if you are not eager to try Cross Edge again anytime soon, Phil. No. I can't imagine where that comes from. No, no. They just, they need to take the edge off of Cross Edge. <laughs> Gotta think about that one. What's our, what's our next show? How about this? What's our, what's our next show about? Do we have any idea yet? Mm, I've had a couple. Just to say, you know, let's talk, let's talk about what we have been playing while I refresh my memory on what I had planned. I will, I will say, um, oh boy, where did I put it at? Oh, great. Now I forgot. Oh, um, here it is. Uh, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can share your comments over at rpgamer.com. That's where we're reading them from. You can also share them, at, you know, at Twitter, uh, where, uh, you can hit me up at JC Surin, at Drew Mason, and you're at J Scarp, I think, with an E at the yep. end. J Scarp. Yep. 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 So, uh, you can definitely do that. Um, and 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 you could talk to us uh, uh, directly there and read our comments. We're all commenting about all kinds of different things and stuff. And uh, yeah, I, we, we you know we have JRPG July going on, and there's a lot of people you know, including lots of RP gamer people, using the hashtag JRPJuly to share their experiences uh, and the such. I shared a couple of screenshots of, of which I'll talk a little bit more of a little bit later, but of Valkyrie Chronicles uh, Four, and lots of people hitting the like button and sharing it. So that's what we're all doing together. Uh, and if you've never used Twitter before, it's really cool because you can just search for JRPG July and you can read all the comments right there in one spot from everybody around the world who's joining in on this uh, great gaming event. So uh, go and check it out. Uh, and, and, and we also have a uh, Discord channel now for JRPG July. So yeah. you can talk about games on there. Yeah, you can come in and talk to us uh, in real time. So we've been discussing. In fact, it was in that Discord channel a couple of days ago that I was talking through with some people helped me to decide what game to pick. And we all agree that if I can manage to get through Valkyria Chronicles uh, 4 before the end of the month, I might just go ahead and jump into Ease as well. So oh, yeah, it's all about Ease. It's all about action. <laughs> because Ease, you play the, Ease Are you is, doing the original one? Whatever I got off of GOG, because I have to do everything I do. The funny thing is I tie everything into the computer, right? It's CRPG Club. So yeah. I'm playing Valkyria Chronicles 4. I'm playing the Steam version. And I know I have E something uh, from GOG.com. So let me look that yeah, up. There's a bunch of E's games on it's, it. Oh my gosh, there's two different versions. There is E's Origin. Is that the first one or no? That's the prequel that, that they that did is later. That is set as the first, but... the. It's the very first Ease game goes back to, I think, 87. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ease 1 and 2 Chronicles Plus. Is that? Yep. yep. That, that would be, that contains the very first Ease game. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's, uh, that's the one I, that's the version I'd be playing. That's the one I own on GOG. So, uh, in fact, I want to say with, there's only one Ease game, I think that isn't on GOG. Um, they, they did a really good job of like getting the whole series. Let's see. There's Ease Origin, uh, Ease, uh, I think eight. the only one that hasn't been put on PC by in any capacity is Ease 5. And that's also never been released in English. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, there's E's 8, E's 7, E's 1, 2 Chronicles, E's Origin, E's 6, uh, lots of E's 8 DLC. Let's see, do they, do they have E's Memories of Celsetta, Calcetta, however you want them? Uh, let's see. Uh, sell set. Uh, yeah, ease. You know what? They don't have like a five or anything after it, but it does say ease memories of sell set. No, that one is ease four. Oh, that's ease four. Okay. All right. So I own everything but five because I bought all of those. Which is not games. on PC. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there you go. It's it, where it, so, but it never came to America, you said, or it never got localized? No. Yeah, it was, it's. Was five the it one was, that there was, was two different versions of? That that Falcom made neither one of, or am I forgetting? No, that's four. Oh, four, yeah. Four was on the Turbo Graphics CD in Japan and the Super Famicom, and then Falcom did make its own version many years later for the Vita, which isn't a straight up remake of either of them, but takes elements from both. <laughs> I think Ease Five is the one that's Super Famicom exclusive and got remade by a company that's not Falcom for the PS2. And neither of those versions ever came here, and notably both of them are not on PC. But knowing Falcom, we'll probably have a remake of it at some point. More than likely. And then then we'll have everything, won't we? The entire adult canon will be available. Yeah. Unless, of course, you, unless you want to experience some of it, some of the versions that never came here, in which case you'll have to get busy with the emulation. Sorry. Right. After all, the... Oath and Felgana is the remake of 3, but what if you want to play the original version of Ease 3, which of course came out on three platforms? Hmm. Just play Oath and Felgana. <laughs> which I have, Oath and it's worth playing. Oath and Felgana's good. Hmm. Anyway, now that we've dived briefly down the Ease rabbit hole... Hmm. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's do... Ease, and Ease 9 is coming! I forgot! Oh my gosh, so many E's. Alright, alright, so let's do the round table. Let's let's do. What's Mr. Carpenter? What's what does he say? <laughs> what have I been doing? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like uh, last week, I got up the review of Judgment, which is the newest. Uh, well, Yakuza, but not Yakuza thing. <laughs> hmm. So this is uh, Team the uh, Yakuza Studios' uh, newest spinoff. So it's set in the same uh, city as the uh, all the Yakuza games in Camarocho, and it has a lot of the same sort of open-world elements. There's a lot of the, you know, the Sega arcade is still there, so you can still go play those old Sega games. Um, there, there's a lot of that sort of open-world mucking around stuff that you can do, but instead, in this one, instead of playing as a, uh, instead of playing as a, you know, a member of the Yakuza, now you're playing as a detective, and you're tracking down a uh, serial murderer who is going around Camarocho and targeting uh, Yakuza and is killing them kind of kind of quite brutally. And uh, the main character, Yagami, he gets hired to kind of find, to uh, defend, uh, to help defend someone who's been accused of being that serial killer. And it kind of plays into this huge overarching narrative that he has, like he was originally this hotshot lawyer three years earlier, but he, he managed to get a... Uh, his client off on a murder charge, which does not happen very often in Japan. I think it's like 99% of people who uh, go to trial in Japan are convicted. Well, A, in Japan there isn't a whole lot of violent crime, and B, no. what violent crime there is tends to result in convictions because 
the Japanese prosecutorial system is incredibly stacked in favor of the prosecutors and they can just keep people in jail for, I think, a couple of weeks before they have to let them out to do anything. Yeah. And, and unlike in America, like there, there's no presumption of innocence. There's almost like a presumption of guilt, basically, in the system, which in some ways kind of makes like uh, games like Ace Attorney make a lot more sense when you have that kind of like background knowledge. So he defended this guy and managed to get him off. But right after he got the guy, the the client off, that client turned around and murdered the client's girlfriend. And so, <laughs> like everyone kind of turned on him. You know, he became a pariah in the legal community because he, you know, helped get this murderer out. And he kind of lost his own faith in his own judgment in people. And so he kind of left law behind and turned to. Uh, Turned to becoming a detective on the seedy streets of the red light district in Camarotro. So, like, that's how the game kind of, like, plays out. It plays very much like a Yakuza game. They've added in a little bit of detective elements. Some of those detective elements work better than others. Um, like, there are some where you'll, very much like you might expect for a private eye, where you, you'll get contracted, where you'll have to, like, tail someone and then follow them and try and catch them as they're you know, uh, off having an affair at a love hotel and you kind of get graded on how good of a job you do in taking, uh, taking the money shot, you know, like the, the it's like those missions are pretty uh, generous. Like just so long as you kind of like get the, get the guy with the young girl in front of the love hotel, like, Oh, you passed. But if you manage to get them just as they're walking into the love hotel, when he turns and kisses the girl, like you get a bunch of extra money and extra experience for, you know, getting the perfect shot. Yeah, um, that sounds fun. Yeah. That, that, that stuff's okay. Some of the other stuff kind of like drags on. Like the uh, some of the tailing missions are not that fun because <laughs> they have uh, like as you're walking around, you, like you're following someone, and they'll constantly, you know, every so often they'll turn around to see if someone is tailing them. And elements like uh, the, uh, you know, like as you're walking around the streets, there'll be a car or there'll be like a big sign for one of the love hotels, and there'll be little boxes where you can hit a button and jump into them and hide. And most of the time they're predictable. And then every once in a while, like the game obviously wants you to go to the left side of the street. And you didn't realize that and you kind of wandered over, to try and go behind a car on the right side of the street. And then suddenly there's no box there to hide. And that guy turns around and then you end up failing that mission. And it can be really annoying and frustrating when some of that kind of stuff happens. Some of, some of the detective elements didn't get quite as much polish as they probably needed, but yeah, that kind of happens when it's, you know, the first, the first stab at doing something a little bit different. All, all in all, though, the game, uh, you know, the gameplay is really good, especially the combat is really fantastic. And re I, I quite like the story. Um, it, it for in kind of a unique thing for a Yakuza game in that series, it does have a full English uh, voice acting cast. So if you're you have a complete anathema to subtitles, you for, you actually have the option of playing the game in English, and it's you know the English voice acting is quite you know perfectly serviceable, quite good. Hmm. The one Yakuza game I played, the very first, just felt more natural in Japanese. Or, no, the first the first Yakuza game 
had a horrible localization. That's right. That that's my memory. Yeah, like I I haven't played the original PS. That's all the stories I've heard about it was that the 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 localization on that one was pretty pretty abysmal. I played it because Sam Marcello was nice enough to lend it to me, and I played it, and I enjoyed the gameplay. Yeah, the gameplay is really good. The voice acting was another story for the most part. Yeah. That, that was that era where you still got some of those clunkers. <laughs> what are you talking about? We just talked about some in Night 6 where some <laughs> clunkers still slip in. Yeah, some sometimes they still do. But I, I got a review up for about that in case anyone's interested in the rest of my thought, you know, the more thorough thoughts on Judgment. And uh, other than that, I've been since I finished that, I've been playing uh, the new Atelier game for JRPG July, the Atelier Lula. And I've kind of been like a lapsed Atelier fan because with the uh, Mysterious series, I kind of fallen off. I don't know exactly when that happened. I <laughs> like I remember playing Sophie and kind of like dropping off after ten or fifteen hours. And then the uh, the next game, which the name of is escaping me right this second, I made the mistake of buying that on Vita, and it was one of the worst, technically one of the worst Vita games I've ever played. I mean, just like single frame rate dips, um, just you I know. I think I remember Sam reviewing a few, uh, at least one of the Vita ports, and just being disgusted at how badly it was done. Ah, oh, that's right. It's Atelier Fearis. Now I remember the name. Yeah, that one. The Vita port on that one was really atrocious. I think that's when uh, this was not too long after uh, Koi Tecmo bought Gust, and they moved uh, the Atelier games over to, like, the uh, Dynasty Warriors engine. It did not play well with the Vita. Those those Vita games weren't great. You know, the earlier ones were had their own issues, but they got really rough. Once they moved to the Dynasty Warriors engine. Hmm. So I'd kind of fallen off on those games, but Lula came out and it's kind of a, a return to the Arlen series, the uh, which were the, the series of games kind of back on, I think originally on the PS3 that were the ones that kind of got me into the series. And it's, I don't know, I'm like six or seven hours into it. And it's really kind of been like hitting those same sort of uh, notes that I've kind of been missing from the last handful of game Atelier games I played. So mm-hmm. that, that, that's been a lot of fun. It, it, you know, plenty of alchemy, good battle system, really kind of goofy uh, story beats, but I, it, I'm, I'm enjoying that. But that, you know, like I, I've still been uh, doing the uh, rounding up people for what you're playing, and that that's most of what I've been doing around the site. <laughs> Going to be doing lots of JRPG July stuff. What you playing for JRPG July? There you go. I think my dropped off there. It's all the fireworks. People are just, you know, they can't wait for the fourth, so they're just going crazy now. Yep, there's plenty of fireworks going on. Silly people. <laughs> well, uh, if you if you like almost literally burning your money, this is a way to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I liked fireworks as a kid before I understood, wow, you pay that much and you get this much time out of it. I know, right? In fairness, here on the East Coast, it is the fourth right. So, well, that still means that a whole bunch of people decided, "Hey, it's midnight. That's a great time to go set off fireworks." Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the firework displays happen evening of the fourth, not right after midnight of the fourth. It, yeah, this isn't New Year's. <laughs> 
So, so how about you, Mr. Minky? What's new in your world? Well, you may have noticed that I finally got a review up of Persona Q2, which means that I finished the game. Hooray! Ooh, what can I do for you? Oh, look, uh, someone's firing off fireworks because they're, like, so excited you got it done. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it done last week. I got the review up last week, but thank you for the very, very belated celebration, everybody. And you can read the review, of course. It is there to be read. And I have spoken on Persona Q2 in the past. In fact, I believe I spoke on it the very last that we had. Does that sound familiar, Phil? Mm-hmm. It does. I was listening to it just the other day. Yep. And I had already reached the final dungeon by that point. I don't have a... Let's see. The final boss was pretty interesting until you get to the very end of it and it, yeah, a narrative convenience comes out to deal the final blow. That's that's mildly disappointing, but I kind of liked the conclusion. It was fun. And I can safely say that I do not regret the time I spent with the game. I enjoyed it immensely. Many, Pretty much all of the battle tracks I have found incredibly memorable and would gladly listen to them in other settings. And if this is the last major 3DS release, it was a good note on which to go out. But I... Without repeating myself, there's not a whole lot else I can say at this point. Unless, of course, I go into the story, and if I do that on a new game, then somebody's going to get mad. Because mm-hmm. I'll be a spoiler. Spoilers! I, I would have to start spouting spoilers, and nobody wants that. Mm-mm. Not until it's been two years later. Right. So, I'm not quite done with Wargroove. I'm still playing around with it. I've apparently hit what's either the penultimate or the ultimate battle, and then I will be able to have a review up of Wargroove. Now, Phil, you were saying earlier that you have your own... ...to relate. Yeah, wow, Wargroove took me out of my groove, so so what I've been doing (laughs) is I'm taking my Switch to the gym... And uh, because it's pretty cool, you can just stick the screen part of it, you know, up on the the console. You know, there's usually a place to put your cell phone, and I just put my Switch screen there. And then I have one of the, you know, little controllers in each hand. So if it's just a turn-based game, it, it you know, like, like Wargroove, it, it's pretty cool because I can, I can sweat up a storm. Because I, I, I walk, I don't run, but I put the treadmill up at a high ramp, so I really do work up a sweat because I'm basically walking uphill nonstop. Um and I've done that. yeah, yeah, it's a good way to get your heart rate up without running because I'm not a fan of running. It's not good for my joints. I'm too old. But um, so I was playing Wargroove and I felt pretty cool because over like the last week or so of doing that, I got through like the first eight boards, no problem. But then I got to this one mission with the dog commander where you got to you protect these four villagers or whatnot. And I was like on turn. I remember that. Yeah. 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 And I was on like turn eight or so. And that had taken me like the whole session, which workout sessions was like 40 minutes to get to. And some stupid lame ass dude on a horse, the knight, just zips all the way past all of my warriors, goes right up to the villager and kills them in one hit. Game over. Now, I had done an interim save, interim save, but it doesn't matter because if you're gay, basically, even though it, it says, do you, you know, you could save at any point, like you could, like, let's say in Advanced Wars, 
if if your if your game is over, I, I don't know exactly how it does this, but it essentially is doing a, a fast save all the time. So when I try to load my interim save, it it doesn't load where I saved it three turns ago. It loads it right before I died, and the horse guy runs up and kills the people again and again. And like, dang, Nabbit, I mean, I pretty, I, I could be wrong, but I swear like in Advance Wars, if you did a mid-mission save and you, you know, you died or whatever it may be, you could go back and reload that mid-mission save and you'd be right there again. But not the case with War Group. So it took me out of group. I was very upset. Because it feels like it doesn't really respect my time. Here, yeah. yeah. I mean, just in today's age, like you said before, it's like, I, I as I get older, I appreciate games and speaking of. Uh, you know, memories of our good friend, uh, Mr. Michael Cunningham, he would often say that one of the reasons he loved uh, the Dragon Quest series is when your party dies in a dungeon there, unlike some games, which forces you to basically to reload the save from 40 minutes ago, Dragon Quest just revives you at a temple. You lose half your gold that you were holding at the time, but you keep your experience and everything else intact, so you don't feel like you've wasted 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll go back to it. It is a cute game. It just ticked me off a little bit. Yeah. You there? Yeah, I'm just getting background noise, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I seem to have a little bit. By the way, we apologize, boys and girls, for there's some background noise kind of going back and forth, but there's um, it's a lot of 4th of July celebrations going on around our microphones today, so <laughs> bear, bear with us. Most people outside the United States are at least familiar with the 4th of July. They know more or less, oh, that's when Americans go crazy and set off fireworks. Mm-hmm. Which is distinct from other times Americans go crazy and set off fireworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what else is on your list there, Mr. Mr. Minky? Well, I will also need to be playing Grimshade, which I have a review code for on Steam. Thank you, Alex. I intend to take that up after I finish Wargroove, which should be happening pretty quickly. And after Grimshade, I may just have to try... I know nothing about how long it's going to take me to finish Grimshade at this point, because I haven't tested it yet. All my Steam time has been for Wargroove. But once that's done, I may just have the need... Well, I'll have to decide. If we don't have any reviews for Bloodstained Ritual yet, then I will probably go for that, because I've played a number of these Castlevania, Metroidvania titles and enjoyed them for the most part. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this has come out after Konami, as we know, has more or less decided it doesn't develop games anymore. It just sits around, makes pachinko machines, and forbids people from using its intellectual property because it's a spiteful jerk. (laughs) The fact that Koji Igarashi took four years to make this, and the fact that it's getting good press now that it has finally been released, makes me rather eager to play it. I I do wish it had come out on the Vita, even though the Vita is pretty much dead now, because then I would be able to play it on the go, but fine, yeah, wait. Because especially the, the port of it on the Switch is apparently a technical bug, but I haven't played that yet. Now, if we do have a review up of that and we are not too urgent, then I might just decide to do Fallout 4 because that is eligible for a backtrack now. And that might be a good next backtrack subject. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm. And I definitely want to give Fallout 4 a backtrack where we can have some positive things to say before in... Oh, what about a little over a year's time, Phil? When when Fallout seventy six will be eligible for a backtrack, and we can discuss the wonderful <laughs> things that it has brought to the table. Uh, that one's going to be tricky to find someone who played it. 
<laughs> yeah, I noticed we don't have a review, which is yeah, which is figure. problematic for anything like this. It doesn't end; it just keeps going perpetually. We how do we handle that with MMOs? We just have somebody who plays it for a hundred hours and says, "Yeah, I know it really well." But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what these live services are more or less becoming. They're perpetual MMOs. Except with, still with the veneer of you're able to play it by yourself and you don't get the things that people who play by themselves normally get with a single player experience. So what's the appeal? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Fallout 76 is not backtrack eligible. And even if it was, we would have to talk about its launch, not what Bethesda is doing with it now. So let's... T- we will probably talk about Fallout 4 sometime in the near future. That seems like an entertaining subject. And beyond that... Oh, yeah, I still have Dragon Quest Builders on my Vita. I may just pick that up and play some more. Uh, uh, what? A uh, what on a Vita? Dragon, Dragon Quest... Quest Builders. Oh, you know, it's funny you should mention that because that was kind of on my list uh, to talk about, too. I've been playing uh, Dragon Quest Builders on the PlayStation 4. I'm on Chapter 2. What, are you, what chapter are you on? I think I'm still in Chapter 1. I have to check it. Remember, I set it aside so that I was playing Persona Q2 for a while. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, f- I found it easier once upon a time. I don't find it easy anymore to have multiple things going simultaneously on separate platforms. I, I guess I'm just... I've gotten old, Phil. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep all of these things straight mm-hmm. when I switch between them at a, on a dime. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get you. I feel you, brother. We are old men now. We mm-hmm. must accept this. Mm-hmm. At least in terms of video gaming, we are old men. Oh, yeah, that's very much so. That is true. <laughs> I I don't go for and love a game just because it lets me play for five hundred hours anymore. No, that is not that is not a selling point. That is so not a selling point with me. Which is which is more or less what live services want you to do, right? They want you to set aside everything else and here play us for eight hours a day. You need to say it properly. Mike, AAA live services. I'm, I'm trying not to infringe on the Inquisition, sir. I know. I'm never going to get sued for like copyright strikes or something. Maybe if we get a few other people to listen to the Jimquisition and find something they like, that'll be worth it. Yeah, you totally, like, if you listen to this podcast, you, you really need to go and watch some of uh, Jim Sterling's videos, the Jimquisitions Quis- Jim on YouTube. They are awesome. Really going into, you know, what is wrong with the game industry, especially with the AAA companies that create these big live oh, services you loot box. You didn't put enough scorn into it. Triple <laughs> What are they? What was it called? Uh, they're not loot boxes. They're surprise surprise mechanics. Mechanics. Surprise mechanics. <laughs> Come on. I, I did enjoy his creation of the surprise mechanic, though. Oh, it, it was it was it was to die for. But I mean, seriously, it it's just I resonate so much with what he's saying, and it's why I just I have friend, I had you know uh, assassins the newest Assassin Creeds were on this latest sale, and they were a good deal, like twenty thirty bucks. But I just the AAA games just I I, I you know, loot boxes and microtransactions and paying to level up the stuff that you get in free games which I'll, I'll talk about a free game but it, it, it shouldn't be in a AAA sixty dollar freaking game on my PlayStation. It's just just but we get I get sidetracked. It's gonna, now uh, 
get my blood pressure up. I'm not, not getting completely sidetracked because I I was just watching one of his older videos saying EA should lose the Star Wars license, where he was describing Star Wars Battlefront One, which was released incomplete in order to meet the Force Awakens release date. And once you paid for that that sixty dollars, in order to get the rest of the game, you had to bare, bare minimum pay another fifty dollars to get the DLC that completed the game. Yeah, I, I, you had, I remember that wasn't that the one where you had to pay at least ten dollars to get something like a Darth Vader or a Luke Skywalker, but like the main characters that you would buy that game so you could play as them. You know, just. I, I, again, you expect that in a in a cell phone game with microtransactions that you know that you downloaded for free. You don't expect those shenanigans out no, of a no, Phil. You don't have to pay for them. You can spend thirty to forty hours to unlock them first. Oh, in a thir- Star Wars game, thirty Doesn't to forty like hours to unlock one of them, not yeah. all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil. How else are we going to entice people to get those microtransactions going? I don't want to spend all this time. Let me pay to advance the game. Yeah, just. Uh... I uh, I love games where I'm not exp- where I'm not having fun to justify playing it. Where I'm supposed to spend money to get ahead because it's not fun to play and get ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. In fact, that's always been kind of my my gripe with MMOs as well, but it, you know, if you're playing MMO and they're selling you um like level up kits to get you to the high level right away so you can start playing the real game. It's just like, wait a minute. So I'm paying I'm paying for the game. I'm paying a monthly fee. And then I also have to pay to skip the content that's so boring nobody wants to go through your leveling up process. There's just something just fundamentally wrong with this. Well, obviously we are in the minority because Warner Brothers, Electronic Arts, Activision Blizzard, Square Enix, Konami, Capcom. Oh, Ubisoft. Am I missing any big ones? I Mm. probably am, but those are the big ones. They love this stuff because, oh my goodness, look, we can turn players into payers. Mm-hmm. Isn't uh, that a great selling point? Uh, just that videos he they were that he was showing on that one show where they they were having a conference. These game developers were having a conference, and this guy's up in front of a PowerPoint presentation about you know playing on people's addictions to make more money, and but he's joking about it. You know, like yeah, this is this is how we do business. That was he's also saying look, we should. We should probably just leave the ethics and morality of this out of the door. We can we can address that when it's done if we have time. Let's yeah. just talk about how to do it. Uh, I'm, just... I'm sorry, Josh. We may have uh, steamrolled over you in case you had anything to add here. No, no, no. I, I hope we haven't uh, revealed ourselves to be anti loot boxers when you are a, a lover of loot boxes. I, I no, will... no, no lover of loot box. No. Okay. <laughs> And I will tell you, like, uh, you know, so, I, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, whatever have you, I do play a couple of cell phone games. I do play Clash of Clans and Clash Royale. Um, but those are, you know, you, 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 they are free cell phone games. You play with your friends or whatever have you, and you know what you're kind of getting into. Um, and, and if you want, you know, they do have the boxes in there. And if you want to pay to open them up faster, God bless your heart. That's all there. And that's fine. When I download a cell phone game, it's it's kind of like I know what I'm getting into. When I buy Assassin's Creed 
or whatever, um, and, and they got it, and I'm paying sixty freaking dollars, and I'm playing the game, and these these shops are popping up saying, you know, hey, do you want to buy more boxes? You might be able to unlock this character in the game. That's it. Just it just it just blows my mind. Just incredible, especially in some of these games. Like I think it was what was it? Um, it was a Middle Earth game. Oh, I forget what Shadows of Mortar game. I think it's Shadows of Mortar Two, where the, the it's a from what I understand the reviews, it's a pretty decent game and stuff. But in order to get to the end game, you have to grind a lot, and lo and behold. It's literally hours and hours of grind, which you and I just said is no longer a selling point for us in our old age. But if you want to pay an extra whatever dollars from their gift shop, you, you know it'll double or triple your experience gain, so you can get through it a lot faster. And that, that kind of stuff is just so icky. It is. It is. It is. It is so icky. And like I said, when you see that presentation of how they basically feed on people's gambling addictions, and then on that video, he does show some gamblers. He, you know, you get their uh, live testimony about how it was hard for them because they came from gambling backgrounds and they're getting away from the Vegas life or whatever, which is very tough for someone to do. And so then they go sit down, and play video games that they remember from their childhood. And lo and behold, <laughs> there's more gambling mechanics in there to get you to spend more money. It, it's, you know, there's some victimization going on there. So because it's cleverly think, hidden. I think victimization is taking it in the wrong direction. How about uh, predation? Yeah, pred- there you go. So, so yeah, and, and again, it's it's you, you just don't think that if you're buying a $60 PlayStation 4 game off the shelf that you're going to be dealing with that. You kind of expect it when you download, you know, a Harry Potter cell phone game or whatever. Um, so, I don't know. I think that, that's what kind of makes it insidious, especially when you find out that they purposely slow down the leveling up in that game. In order to get you to buy stuff, or they purposely lock characters that would normally be included in the game. It's already bad. I mean, they already do this with microtransactions, like with the what was a Street Fighter Capcom game, where the characters were already on the disc, but they locked them away as microtransactions. <laughs> no, 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 those weren't microtransactions. Those were on disc DLC. Oh, I'm sorry, on disc DLC. <laughs> Just what the hell, guys? What is your problem? Uh. Yeah, no, we'll be we'll be buying those games. So, um, or I'll be waiting if I really am desperate, you know, to play them. I'll wait for the deep, deep discount on the Game of the Year edition that it's already included. But you can't get around those those loot box deals. Those are so ingrained into those games. I mean, it's one thing when you got the games with the with the stupid DLC or on disc DLC. If you wait for a Game of the Year edition, generally, you know, generally you can wait for a Game of the Year edition that includes it all or whatever, or just buy the game on Super Sale. But when it's those loot box deals that are built into the game and the game mechanics, and, and that ain't coming out. <laughs> and in fact, that's what they're hoping is that the game will last. Like you said, it's, they're making it into a live service. So it's supposed to last a long time and people keep buying these loot boxes to, to keep the servers running and add profit to their bottom line, of course. So, oh, and which freaking Call of Duty was it that got remastered? And the remastered version did not include the downloadable content from the original edition. You had to rebuy it. Mm. Mm. As um. in, the, the downloadable content was not included in the remastered version, which is supposed to be the con- complete edition of the game. You have to get the remastered version, and then you have to rebuy each piece of remastered downloadable content. Oh, I don't remember. It's definitely one of the Call of Duties because 
that's a very Activision Blizzard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, doesn't Diablo Immortal look great? Oh, man, I'm so stoked for it. Cell phone Diablo game with microtransactions or whatever, probably some loot boxes. Sign me up. Don't you remember at the presentation, do you guys not have phones? Uh... Because, of course, every game is easily playable on the phone, right? A touchscreen is the only interface you need to play everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Steve Jobs has taught me. Steve Jobs was a charismatic individual who made, who said many things, not all of which I happen to agree with. I don't happen to agree that making iTunes and the extended Apple ecosystem a closed thing, completely incompatible with other ecosystems of the online world, was a great idea, but we're stuck with it now. Went over like a lead balloon. Just ask all the gamers who were lo- waiting for things to be ported to Mac and had to wait a very, very long time, and in some cases, they never got it. Actually, in many cases. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, I feel as if we are getting increasingly derailed from... What the hell were we talking about? Jim Sterling, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what you're playing? <laughs> what you're watching? What you're doing? It's your it's your final lap segment. You get to t- you have the floor, <laughs> Mike. We're just we're just piggybacking on you. Well, hey Phil, I saw the Child's Play remake. Oh yeah, how was that? Not terrible. Oh, that's cool. Fact, it, was, it was kind of funny in spots. <laughs> Intentionally, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was also, I also can't really justify its existence. As in, why did this have to be called Child's Play when it's really different? from the original and it probably would have been more effective if it didn't look like the Chucky doll. If it looked like one of those things that Japan makes for, for senior citizens now, that's all silver and Brown and looks like uh, a me avatar, whatever. Hmm. And I saw David Lich's dinner for the very first time in my life. How was that? Apparently I need to read the book. This is, this movie begins with a character looking straight at the audience and give and dumping about three minutes of exposition at you. Well, yeah, that's exactly what audience members want. And then you get a diagram of some planets that can, that contain even more exposition because you need to know what these planets are. Mm-hmm. And then you get... I'll say this for it. As long as it is, and as incomprehensible as it is, I wasn't bored. I never truly got into it. And it has some disgusting sights, like there's a baron whose face appears to be made principally of boils and warts, and somebody is adding to them? He's having something done to the boils on his face, Ew. which is not healing them. Well, <laughs> the Baron Harkonnen was a, was a pretty, pretty evil dude. <laughs> well, I suppose there's something symbolic about having him look outwardly as ugly as he is inside maybe yeah well he he was he was pretty ugly person even in this you know as they described him in the books well that got that was brought across <laughs> was his son played by sting also given a scene in the book where he's just standing there in a leather codpiece no no don't remember leather codpiece okay it, it may have been in the background or maybe Sting just wouldn't do the role until he was allowed to be in a leather codpiece for one scene. Now, that, that, that sounds believable. 
Thank Sting you. was a very is a very interesting individual, although he has mellowed in his later years. You know, we're getting another version of Dune next year. Another they one. Tried, they have yep. tried so many times. This version of Dune for David Lynch's Dune cost forty million dollars in nineteen eighty four. Holy wow! Cow. And it doesn't look that great in spots. <laughs> <laughs> Dune. Sand dunes. They don't look very good. It looks yellow and bland and ugly. Man. I, I feel like for that much money, they should have spiced them up a bit. Well, there are sandworms that look worse than the the graboids and tremors, which came out six years after this. Hmm. Or hell, the whatever they freaking were, the worms in Beetlejuice looked better than this, and that was four years after this. You'd think for that much money they could have, in that area, Something close to, you know, Star Wars. That was a contemporary. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. This does not look anywhere near as good as the Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> then again, it came from David Lynch, who, let's see, at that point he had made Eraserhead, which is many things, but a conventional sci-fi film it is not. And The Elephant Man, which is also not conventional. So I don't think David Lynch's strengths were in the world of Dune and explaining it to the people who might not be familiar with Dune starting off. Hmm. Oh, and of course there are the wonderful desert survival suits where you get to hear Max von Sydow tell you about how they recycle your sweat and your urine and your feces to allow you to survive in the desert for a long time. Oh, that sounds lovely. In the books, but probably didn't need to be uh, done in detail in a movie. They don't show it, fortunately. They just tell you, which is enough. Most assuredly, it is enough. <laughs> and there's a lot of freaking narrative. Apparently, we couldn't convince, come up with a way to have character narration other than a character will be speaking and then stop speaking, and the face will stay on the screen while narration comes in of the character. And we hear that many times, and it gets old really fast. After I hearing you talking. talk about it, I, I've got I've to watch this sounds like a delightful train wreck <laughs> i would i would agree with you it is definitely a train wreck and there are some bizarre moments in it that i probably won't be forgetting i probably might want to but they're they're in my memory now i'll never have them re- i'll never get rid of them uh oh yes and i saw toy story 4 and that's supposed to be good i haven't gotten around to seeing it it is good I would say it is the least of the Toy Stories, but that still puts it on a pretty good level. We didn't need to have it, but it's very fun to see. Well, we didn't need it, but, you know, Pixar needed money, so there you go. Yeah. If the if the question is, do we get Toy Story 4, or do we get Cars 4, or do we get... Uh, what other... They did Finding Dory, which was... I, I saw it a couple years ago, and I don't really remember much about it now. That Pixar has gotten kind of unmemorable for some of its recent movies i'm afraid it used to be a special company and that's not something to take for granted anymore and i'm sad about that hmm anyway i think it's your turn phil Mm-mm-mm. well mm-mm. well you know we so so yeah the, the this this i'm sorry it's still bothering me the switch tax i i just i I tried to pull up a couple of things, but it was um, so I could give y'all some examples, like concrete examples, but 
as soon as I did, my computer starts uh, having some stuttering issues, so I shut down Chrome, so I can't pull up specific examples at the moment. But it all started when I was playing Dragon Quest Builders. I was like, I got to hear out my butt. I'm like, man, I want to go back. I played it on the Vita, and I and I was like, man, I want to go back and, and play that. But wouldn't it be nice to have that on my Switch, which is a little bit of a bigger screen? And I looked up the price, and it was like, what was it, 40 or 60 bucks for Dragon Quest Builders 1? Not, not for two, for one. I'm like, that game's been out forever. And on the PlayStation, it was 20 bucks. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, fine. I'm not going to get it on my Switch. I'll just sit here on my couch and play it on my PlayStation 4. Um, so uh, then there was a couple of like indie games I was looking. Uh, I was, you know, looking and I have these games on GOG and I was, and my wife was asking me about them. And I said, well, you know what? These games, you know, because she was like, well, I like to be able to just lay in bed and play them. I said, well, that's what the Switch is for. Let's take a look. Like, I know this is a good game. Oh, wait a minute. $25? That thing was like. 15 on GOG when it came out. You can get on a GOG stuff for like five bucks. And, and so I started like going through like every game I pulled up was, you know, in Indie Land was 25 to 30 bucks when, you know, it's retailing at 10 to 15 dollars. And, it, you know, of course, you can get on sale. But um, and then uh, then there was this new dungeon crawler. And I forget speaking of dungeon crawlers and, and a name escapes me at the moment. But again, it was like on the PlayStation, it's 30 bucks on the Switch. It's 60 and i'm just over in fact the only game in recent memory that isn't more expensive or significantly more expensive on the switch is minecraft uh i went ahead and got minecraft on the switch but uh, uh, you know but yeah like every time i go to look up okay you know maybe i'll even double dip like guys you people who are making these games for the switch and doing these ports and these re-releases you know like a lot of these games already owed but it would be kind of cool to have it on the go and on a bigger screen than a Vita. And wouldn't mind paying, you know, but they're old games. They should be going for 10 to 20 bucks. And for 10 to 20 bucks, I might double dip. But when you're doing 30, 40, 60 bucks for a game that came out five years ago, Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> you know, like, come on. And yeah, Dragon's Dogma is another one. We've had that on the PC, HD version, whatever you want to call it. It's. There's not like a ton of extra content. It's not like a brand new Dragon's Dog. That's the same one you always had. My friend's like, yeah, play on Switch. It's awesome. I'm like, yeah, you paid a fortune for a game that's been out for eight years. You know, so I'm I'm over the Switch tax. I'm over how much games cost on the Switch. I mean, a new game that's come out is $60 probably no matter where you buy it. And, and that's fine. But other games that would normally be discounted because they're re-releases, they're ports... Uh, it's not even like they're new remasters. It's not like Dragon's Dogma on the Switch somehow has a ton of bonus content and upgraded graphic fidelity like you've never seen before. It's the freaking it's a it's a little bit of a downgrade, really, because it has to work on the Switch. But it's the same Dragon Dogma, you know, that we've had on the PC for years. It, it's just it's just it's just no, I, it's just incredible. And it's very frustrating. Uh, and then the secret of so the secret of mana trilogy thingy that was recently announced that was pretty exciting until you told me it was 40 bucks because i mean you're you're talking the game boy game you're talking the the super nintendo secret man a really great game don't get me wrong but a c you know usually virtual console super nintendo games on like you know your 3ds or whatever what seven to well, ten so, bucks well, second, three which is now i guess trials of mana that had never been le- officially translated before so i can kind of see 
kind of. Would you pay? That's that's a new product to the to the Western world. The weird thing about that is, didn't they also correct me if I'm wrong? But they also announced that they're doing a a real remake, a ground up remake of that that's coming out next year. Yes, that's my understanding. Yeah. So you're going to pay forty dollars for this translated, you know, basically ROM or whatever have you, um, or uh, yeah, but you're also going to pay sixty dollars. For the remake that's coming out in less than a year? Am I the only one who Maybe. feels that that's not the best value proposition in the world? Because if I want to get both, that's a hundred bucks. I don't know. It just, I, it'd be kind of cool if there was a $60 package that you bought now and you got the three games now and you got the new game when it came out for 60 bucks. I, I don't know. I, 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 it just it just feels like to me that dang nabbit owning a switch is an expensive proposition, and not because of the switch itself, but because of how much the freaking games go on for freaking like the switch tax. We used to talk about the Square Enix tax and how it was like every Square Enix 3DS game was like automatically ten dollars more, just because even if it was a port of an old game, it was still ten dollars or twenty dollars more. I just kind of feel like that's where switch switch games are at hey let's re-release skyrim on the switch and charge you 60 bucks i'm sorry go ahead well oh you're gonna have witcher now on the switch yeah yeah and and i don't know what what resolution that's in but it's gonna be on the yeah yeah so this would be witcher Witcher one right uh no witcher three witcher Witcher three three, okay which don't get me wrong really great game but it's also been out for you know for quite a while um and so we're bringing it to Switch. That's great. But all you're having to do is the work to make it work on a Switch. I'm sure you're probably have to do some optimization and some resolution adjustments and whatever. I mean, there's certainly some work being put into it. But maybe 30 maybe maybe 40 bucks. No, I bet you it's going to come out 60 Just, yeah. I mean, because we used to get, like, you get the Game of the Year editions of old games. And sometimes those would be on new consoles and whatever. But you get the Game of the Year edition with all the DLC and whatever for... You know, but anywho, huh. all right, I'm a, I'm deep breath. All right, moving on. Um, what else? I have a list. I have a list. I have a list. I have a list. A list. Uh, so yeah, mention cell phone games. We've been playing. Uh, my friends and I at work have been playing Clash Royale, which is one of those cell phone games with loot boxes and whatever have you. Um, I usually don't put money into it, but they did release. They started doing this. I guess it's something they've been doing on battle royale games, which I don't play shooters. In competitive shooters or anything like that, but the the I, you might you got you might know about this. Um, um, one of you two might know about this, but uh, they they got this pass for five dollars. It's five dollars a month. It's a monthly pass, and for this five dollars, they give you like they speed a lot of things up, is whatever it basically boils down to. But you get more cards, you get more gold, you get a new skin for your characters at the end of the month. You get all this 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 stuff for five dollars. If you bought this all separately. Because, of course, they charge a ton of money if you want to speed up opening up a box or whatever. Um, it would it would be $200. And it reminded me of that video, uh, Mike, with the Jimquisition where it was like, we set up a value proposition by, you know, when you first get the game, you see to open up a box early costs $10. Yes. But now there's a sale where you open up the box for $5. Well, in their genius, they now have a monthly pass, which is a lot cheaper you know, like the value proposition based on what they had before. This is like where the executive 90. is describing how the first price that you see on something is is what you associate that item with forever. So if you yeah. see it marked at fifty dollars the first time, well, I'm not going to pay that. But then later on, they advertise it to you for ten dollars. 
well, that's a great deal. I'll get it now. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's... They're counting on you not thinking. Well, I think they take it up to the next level because... Right. Instead, what you're doing is you're doing that, and it, but now they're getting reoccurring revenue from people because it's five dollars a month. You, thankfully, you don't have to like put your. It's not reoccurring. You have to buy it every month. Um, you have to do a separate transaction every month. So at least they don't have it reoccurring on your credit card somehow. But, um, but my friends like the game, and and everyone's getting it. So there you go. Um, it is funny though because it, I can see that value proposition thing going through their mind. I, I told I told a coworker I will get it, but not because I think it's a great value proposition. Because all you're doing is opening up boxes faster. The skin at the end's cute, but it's not worth five bucks. I said I feel like it's just tipping them for a game that I do enjoy playing with my friends. So you want five buck tip for the month for the this game that I you know play with my friends at work you know almost every day. Sure, um, used to pop quarters and in the latest Inquisition about elementary kids mocking people in Fortnite. I got killed by a default. Yeah, that default killed me. I'm going to kill that default. Mocking people who don't buy the the, the cosmetic add-ons. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, yeah, I can see that. I can see it. kids will be kids, and you can definitely see if someone's got it or not because it's very visible. Um, so anyways, but if you do like to play Clash of Clans or Clash Royale, let me know because, yeah, it is something my friends and I play and we do have fun with it. Because everyone's got a cell phone, everyone plays cell phone games. I got a couple of friends have a Switch, but everyone's got a cell phone. So, um, And people aren't walking around with their Switches, they are walking around with their cell phones. So it's easy to say, hey, you got you got five minutes, let's do a quick round of Clash, whatever. So uh, Guild Wars, so when we talk bad about these microtransactions, just know, uh, you know, I'm a balanced person, I do play them. But yeah, they, some of these things are really predatory, and they don't need to be my sixty dollars freaking PlayStation games. Uh, Guild Wars. Speaking of uh, more microtransactions, Guild Wars Two. Been playing that uh, with my wife. Uh, remember, a family that slays together stays together, and uh, that's really that's really got a pretty good story in it so far. So we're kind of playing through the each character, each character race in the game has different stories you can play through because it's pretty cool. You'll go and you'll do some quest, and you know that's kind of generic MMO quest um they're okay they're engaging but um but then at certain levels you get another chapter in your character's personal story and it actually feels kind of comparable with with some of the single player rpg stories that are out there so and it's got great voice acting holy cow's the voice acting good so i've been pretty impressed for an mmo i'm like wow and that's that's one of those things that's kind of free to play but if you want more inventory space or you want to unlock the expansion content or whatever you're going to want to you're going to want to eventually pay for those down the road um getting uh and then last but not least uh I also played Masquerada Song and Shadows for the Nintendo Switch uh Mr. Alex speaking of Alex hooked me up with that and I wrote an impression about it on our website I won't go into much detail here. You can head over to rpgamer.com to read about this uh, role-playing game that is a little bit of a different setting, kind of an Impressionist uh, era, Renaissance era type of setting um, with a lot of world building, uh, excellent writing, and some decent voice acting to boot. Um, but uh, but to find out the whole story, like about the real-time combat system and my impression of it, you can head over to rpgamer.com to give that a gander. So, yeah, and that's about it. I won't talk about the new games I'm playing because I feel like we'll talk about that at the end of the month, doing a lot of stuff for JRPG July, July and tying it in with the CRPG Club. So I'll have a CRPG Club segment 
ready and prepared once I get through my JRPG July game. Remember, I, I tweeted about this, but remember when, you know, JRPGs were pretty much regulated to consoles and Western RPGs were were more or less, not, yeah, you got some of those on consoles, but the JRPGs are really hard to get on computers. Because um, you would get, you would get hey, ports what, of the... All- Ultima Didn't some of the and stuff. Ultimas get put onto the consoles. Yeah, I know that's those what are I was, great ports. Yeah, no, that's what I was saying. Like you could, they were they were inferior versions. But even like I would, now that I was thinking about it, Pools of Radiance was brought over to the NES. Uh, An Ultima Gamer Two was brought over to the NES oh, or Super Heroes Nintendo. Heroes of the agree. Was that on PC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just as bad on the I PC. I saw that in a pawn shop last week. Yeah, burn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, just burn it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the console ports of your PC games were definitely your inferior, especially, oh, wizardry, oh, wizardry on the SNES, <laughs> um, Might and Magic was also, I think it was Might and Magic 4 or 5, The Clouds of Zine, I believe that was on the SNES as well, but, um, uh, but yeah, you could get, you could get Western RPG sort of, yeah, you could get them. They were just inferior, but yeah, yeah, there were plenty of those. But getting JRPGs on the computers, though, I, 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 I can't think of any strong examples. You had to get a console to experience games like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and, and, and the such. Uh, but nowadays, JRPG. few from Falcom, that's about it. Hmm. Falcom has always been the, by far the most PC oriented Japanese developer. Oh, there you yeah. go. Oh yeah, and I'm sure there was a bunch in Japan. I just, but over here, I I don't know. Let's uh, we had to take a ease. I think that was that had a PC port. I want to say. I think that was originally on originally a Japanese PC. Yeah, but there's so many damn Japanese PCs, and I can't get the PC eighty eight, the PC ninety eight, the PC the the does the MSX does the MSX count as a console or a computer? I don't know. I, I mean, technically, consoles are computers, so, you know. <laughs> the tech... Does it do other things than play games? I suppose that's the question. Right. Um, well, and we were talking about, uh, you know, speaking of our Discord channel, again, come and join us over our Discord channel. You can find details for that over at rpgamer.com under community. Uh, we were having a discussion about how a lot of the, you know, a lot of the early Japanese games were based off of Dungeons & Dragons and really did, in a lot of ways, feel like Western games. And even even Final Fantasy One, it had the D and D spellcasting, the the Vatican or Venetian system, whatever it's called. Um, you could you could pick your own classes like you would in a typical D and D game. Had a kind of a lot of Western you know feeling to it in a lot of ways. But you know, as I pointed out, as the series went on, they got rid of all of that stuff and and they focus because i you know for me jrpgs really focus on that storytelling experience like we got a fantasy book with characters and a deep plot and we're gonna let you experience it whereas western rpgs it's almost like hey we got this world but it's your story you pick the characters you pick your stats you do so much of the decision making but the end result is you don't have quite a tight as a, a narrative or you certainly have very little character development uh, in, in those Western style dungeon crawlers and, and D&D open world games and things like that. But anywho, we had a really great conversation. I always love those conversations. So, yeah, hit us up on Discord. We'd like to hear from you. But I think that's about it. 
uh, I will remind you guys who are listening that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. As I mentioned before, you can hit us up on Twitter. We got a handle at RPGamer, as well as the individual Twitters I mentioned earlier. Uh, you can also find those on our website. Uh, you can you know shoot us off an email, um, jcservant at RPGamer.com. Uh, do you have an RP Gamer? You're using Hotmail. Jumason at Hotmail.com, right? No, I'm my Jumason would be... All right, get them all uh, mixed up. What's that's your, my RP Gamer. What's your email address? <laughs> it's Albert. It's Albert. I just see. At Hotmail.com. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, how about you, Mr. Scarpender? <laughs> yeah, same old, same old. It's jscarp at RP Gamer. There you go. Um, yeah, because I got my RP Gamer email working again. Yay! <laughs> so it's a little <laughs> bit easier than my personal, my other personal email address, which is a lot longer and harder to spell. JC Servant at RP Gamer is just like it sounds. Anywho, uh, you can shoot us off emails. You can set up on Twitter. You can leave comments. If you're going to leave comments on our show, uh, on the comments section of the website, always leave it on the latest show. Those are the comments we read. Even if you're going back and listening to back issues or back episodes, leave your comments on the latest show or on Twitter or through email and we'll read them online or on the show or whatever. Whew! And uh, boy, I think that's it. I think that's it for the credential and the legalese. Mr. Minky, do you want to post to bed? I could make a horrible pun about summoning the night because it's night when we're recording this, but I'm above that. I will say that if we had gotten a few other of the summon night games over here, we probably would have a larger fan base, but we haven't. So they're still kind of under appreciated even though they're not that great for the most part but i'm rambling good night <laughs> <laughs>